Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Okay. So, that happened. Uh, it is pro day season, and it is also a time when Draft crushes are a funny thing. They're a funny thing. Uh, draft crushes can be ephemeral. They can be like gossamer, here today, gone tomorrow, they disappear like summer smoke. Or they can be deep and hard. They can be things that are hard to shake. I, I just can't quit you. This time of year, we get to find out whose draft candy, whose draft cake, maybe whose draft meat, in a few cases even, uh, to, to borrow a a couple of expressions from my friend Jim Coburn. And we're going to find out, uh, in some cases, who's draft dressed. Um, there's obviously been a lot of discussion recently, once again, stirred up about what character is and on-field versus off-field character and how much a guy should or could drop based off non Yeah, non-football. can we just not talk about characters? That's, that, that's what I'll say. <laughs> That would be awesome, Jim. Uh, that would be awesome. Because how, however, nobody, yeah, <laughs> nobody right now in the draft community, I'll say that at least, has done any studies about drug abuse, about school, you know, missing school, getting bad grades. Uh, nobody has done anything on those types of topics and how that actually affects people in the long term. And because of that, we just sit around going, well, he either grows up or he doesn't grow up. That's something he just has to grow up. That he's just a young kid. You know, that's what it really becomes. <laughs> um, as always, Jim. In addition to the point. genuineness of smile. In addition oh, to that. Oh, yes. That's right. He, he doesn't, doesn't have a genuine smile. smile. Right. Well, if you don't have a genuine smile, then, you know, why are we here? What are we talking about? If I, I mean, we can't have players whose smiles aren't genuine, can we? I see you've been joined also by our specialist. Uh, we're going to talk some defensive tackle, and we'll, we'll probably do a little bit of Randy Gregory talk, unfortunately, as well, but we can't help that. Uh, but we, I want to get deeper into the D-tackle class. And the difference between clinical football character and non-football character is going to, unfortunately, have to be discussed. I don't think we can – Really, fully avoided. So, first of all, Josh, you played not that long ago with guys, and most of the guys you played with were solid guys, guys you felt like you could trust, go to war with, etc. But if you had a teammate, and you don't have to say if you did or you didn't, but let's just use it as a hypothetical, who you knew had habits that weren't fully within the culture of your team, doesn't have to be substance abuse, just you know. A, a habit that doesn't help, whatever kind of habit it could be. It could be, you know, something completely legal, but just something that you know isn't helping your team. And this person seems to have a problem not doing whatever this thing is. 
how is that usually handled? Or what is your approach as a guy who, like I said, plays this game and played it recently? How did how did your team handle that kind of stuff? Well, the the first thing that we normally do uh, is we, we make sure, you know, we at least do our background research. Uh, it, I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but it's the truth. Uh, you know, we don't want to jump to conclusions because, uh, you know, that guy is still considered a brother um, no matter what. So we'd like to make sure that we have a full understanding of the story, at least as, as much as we can, uh, to figure out what is going on or, or what he's doing. Um, but it's you know, it gets into anything like that, uh, you know, like with Randy Gregory's situation where it's drugs or, you know, he's an alcoholic or he's not going to class. Uh, depending on who it is, uh, if, it's an, if it's an underclassman, you know, we nip him in the butt pretty quick. Uh, we sit him down in front of a panel of seniors and basically give them the ultimatum and say, hey, uh, you know, this is how it goes. This is what you need to do. If you're not willing to do that, uh, feel free to clean out your locker and we'll uh, we'll let you go. Um, that's been a player's uh, decision that was ran by the Minot State Athletic Board. Um, they allow players to do that. Uh, in terms of the drug, uh, that's immediately uh, that's immediately a head coach problem. Uh, if it's right. a drug issue, uh, we immediately turn that over to the head coach, and they take care of that. Uh, and nine times out of ten, uh, you know, if he's arrested for it, you know, we've had a problem uh, with that up here. Uh, if the player is arrested for it, they're gone. Uh, they're suspended. They're either booted. From, uh, more than likely, they've been booted from the team. Uh, there hasn't been a situation that I've been in where a player has been, you know, uh, legally broke the law, uh, which, you know, obviously negatively affects your team to where they haven't been able to stay on the roster. Um, so it gets nipped pretty quick. Um, so it's kind of interesting to hear the story with Randy Gregory on how, you know, he's failed multiple drug tests at Nebraska, at least yep. that's a report. Uh, that brings in a, a whole different issue. Uh, if everybody remembers the whole tirade that Bo Pelini went on at the beginning yes. of the year before we got yep. fired about yep. how drugs weren't going to be a part of the program, how is your best defensive player and one of the best players in the entire country failing yep. multiple drug tests? And if he failed, how is he still playing? Uh, is he was there? Maybe that was a reason why he was sitting out of games instead of it being an injury. They said it was an injury because he was really sitting out because of drugs. Uh, no matter what, the true story is going to come out sooner or later. But that's a whole yeah. other issue with Nebraska, and that's something that needs to be cleaned um, from the top down. And they've done a job with that already. You know, getting rid of the coach and everything like that. But it's uh, it kind of varies per per program. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. like I said, that's, that's, that's kind of, I mean, if that's what we're kind of going at, that's the biggest, I mean, that's the biggest story, you know, in the draft right now, arguably right now is the fact that yep. not the fact that he failed one drug test, uh, but he's failed multiple and, you know, and I tweeted it out, you know, it's, it's not the fact that he failed the drug test at the combine. It's the fact that he failed the drug test that he knew was coming. You know, the NFL... Well, I mean, in, in the scouting community, and I'm not sure you mean, but you know what the nickname for that test is in the scouting community, aren't you? Yeah. Like, I mean... They call it the idiot test. That's what they call it. If you talk to NFL scouts, they say, just don't fail the idiot test, and that's what they call it. Yep, exactly. And that's the thing is, you know, how... you I mean, this is not an NFL combine how, how it was when I was growing up 10, 15 years ago where, you know, it's not as hyped up or publicized like 
I mean, they take four days and show it live on TV. Uh, you know that every nook and cranny or every minor incident, I mean, they made a big deal about Jameis Winston's shoulder because of the wear and tear it had because of baseball. I mean, it's not an issue at all. But they right. made it a way bigger issue. So something like that, you know it's going to come out. And then, of course, being where you are, you've had former players who are your friends go through the process. You know that something's going to come out. Um, I mean, in my opinion, uh, and from people who I've talked to, I wouldn't take him at all um, in the you know in the top 15. Uh, he's a guy who has an excuse for everything, is from what I've heard and from what I've read. Um, and, you know, now the fact that, you know, there's seemingly a drug issue and everybody is now going to place the, the Josh Gordon, uh, you know, put them on the Josh Gordon pedestal and be like, all right, is this a guy that we can trust? And I don't think, uh, it's been proven now really that I don't think you can truly trust Randy Gregory, uh, to, to stay clean. Well, you know, and I'm on the record as not having been the biggest fan of his even before this uh, for a variety of football reasons, quite frankly. And not to say he wasn't a good I, I, I thought he was a guy that I was more comfortable with in the second half of the first round even before this happened. I think I had him rated somewhere in the early teens. Uh, I tweeted out my ratings recently. I can't remember what I said now. but Yeah, I, 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 I remember it. Yeah, you had him, it surprised me, but you had him in like the 20s. Yes, that's what that's what I've always had. So that's that's what it was. Okay, that's that's. I mean, that's so even before this. That's I've heard stuff even before this that from people I know in the coaching community that he was not. Well, why don't you tell me this stuff? I mean, you hear well, some. You don't even tell me this stuff. Well, I, I don't first know, of all, I, I occasionally I've told occasionally I'm told things in confidence, Jim. Um, and I might direct message you. I don't know. It's just stuff, everybody. But, I, I'm just. I'm just. I don't know. I just feel a little left out, man. I mean, all all these draft people, analysts, you, uh, you know, uh, Brugler and all these, you know, all these other guys are like, oh yeah, we've we've known about this for a while. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's been all bright. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Now, first of all, let me just say this: some of the stuff I hear is second and third hand. First of all, and some of it is stuff I've been told in confidence, like, hey, you know. Don't tell anybody this. This is going to come out anyway, and you know whatever. Right. But buyer beware on this kid. I mean, but I, I wouldn't believe it. If you told me year. Randy Gregory smoked pot, I wouldn't believe it because he's 238 pounds. How can <laughs> T-Man smoke marijuana be that thin? But, huh. but which makes it even scarier to me now. Well, dude, have you, seen, have you seen Calvin Broadus, aka Snoop Dogg? I mean, he's not yeah, exactly yeah, a bruiser. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's gained a little weight. He wears, you know, he wears a lot of baggy clothes. Is what I'm trying to say, but um, yes, he does. He does kind of hide everything. He's yeah, he's a very skinny individual. But the point I'm trying to say is this: with Randy Gregory, and this this is the last thing I'm going to say about Randy Gregory. Hopefully, okay. but I've never been the biggest Randy Gregory fan. I wasn't the biggest right. Randy Gregory fan before the season. I saw the tape. I didn't get it. Uh, he was thin. He was overpowered a lot. Uh, a lot. He. This year, he got better with his technique. I will give you that. Yeah, he's he one of the better technicians in this class as a pass rusher, I would say. But yep. he Agreed. still had issues in terms yeah. of dealing with people that were much stronger, much more powerful than him, and had more leverage advantage than him. Uh, and a lot of it stems from the fact that he is 238 pounds. 
Uh, and now he's about 240-ish, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, 243, like, 243 rock hard, 243, yeah. yeah. Rock hard, 243. Uh, but even despite that, as a metric guy, I went through every single thing. In terms of his athleticism, he wasn't above average athlete for his size. A lot of people go, well, no, 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 no. For his size, nope. he, was a, he was not an above average athlete, except nope. for dynamic speed, which put him with Ryan Denny. Remember Ryan Denny? I remember that's, him very clearly. That's thought, the athleticism. I thought foolishly that he was going to finally put, but not, I mean, he was never a guy who was going to take in the top five or six, but I thought you'd get this guy in the late fifth, early sixth, and then you work with him. And I mean, he and, um, you know, your guy, uh, who did pan out actually, we're at USF together, and I thought they were going to do like a George Selby, Jason Pierre-Paul thing, you know. Hey, right, 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 right. Yeah, but they didn't have. <laughs> but didn't have. Uh, didn't have 100%. Uh, Randy Gregory has that type of athleticism. He's not an elite <laughs> athlete. Does it matter if you're – do you have to be an elite athlete to be a productive player? No. But production-wise, and this is stuff I do a lot of, is people are going to – after this draft class, yeah, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I didn't know about this. But uh, I was doing the production stuff. He didn't hit. He didn't hit the sack threshold. He he didn't hit the TFL threshold for multiple All Pro, multiple Pro Bowl players. So that that means that you're going to get a guy who. The, the the thing I'm trying to say is simply this: Here you have a prospect. He's undersized. Uh, he is not elite level athlete for his size. No, uh, plays with really good technique and, and is producing as much as he possibly can for his size because of, of, of his technique and yet still doesn't hit any of the thresholds to be a really dynamic, you know, pass rusher or, you know, or guy, who, you know, run defender. Uh, and then you add on top of that, uh, I just said about the low level athleticism. Uh, and then you add on top of the fact that he smokes marijuana, making all of this mute. Because it won't matter how thin he is. It won't matter how unproductive he is. It won't matter about any of this stuff because he smokes marijuana, and that's the reason why he became a bust, because he smoked the weed. And, <laughs> and it's just, you know, that's why he failed. It wasn't because, it wasn't because he wasn't a lead little athlete. It wasn't because he was thin. It wasn't because of any of that stuff. It's because he smoked the marijuana. And that is one of the main reasons why I don't want to talk about Randy Gregory at all for the rest of the yeah, I know, I know. Because well, people who call him Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon actually played in the NFL and had a legit great season in the yep. NFL. Randy yep. Gregory hasn't done any of that stuff. And yet he's being getting the Josh Gordon treatment. Oh, I mean, sure, it's a similar situation in terms of failing multiple drug tests and blah, 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 blah. But... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I, I don't – this is not – you know, th- there's a saying, you know, because, again, I, I'm from Alabama, and there's a saying about this this little lady and the hurricane's going to come and her family, and they go, hey, 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 Grandma, we need to get you out of here. Hurricane's coming. She goes, I'm going to wait till God gives me a sign. So it starts raining. starts raining. It starts, you know, the hurricane's coming. So the police show up in a little, in a little boat because it's starting to flood a little bit. The police go – uh, excuse me, man. We need to get you out of here. There's a hurricane coming. She goes, I'm not leaving until God gives me a sign. Keep flooding, keep flooding, keep flooding, all the way up to her chest. Helicopter comes out of the Coast Guard Say, we got to get you out of here, man. The, the hurricane's coming. You're going you're gonna to drown to death. She goes, I ain't leaving until God gives me a sign. She dies. She goes to heaven. She sees God, and God goes, 
lady, why are you so stupid? I sent you a car. I sent you a boat. I sent you an airplane to get you out of there, you know, a helicopter to get you out of there, and now you're here. Sometimes, my friends, prospects give you a sign, and then they give you another sign, and then they give you another sign, and then they give you another sign in terms of red flags. Gregory's done that, and people still don't get it. They still don't get it, regardless of the tape, which tape is always subjective. I could argue until I'm blue in the face of somebody already Gregory's tape, because there's obviously people, you know, other than me, that view him as the greatest edge prospects and, you know, uh, name a name of one, you know, out of Smith, Justin Houston, Ryan Smith, Taylor, Javon Kurz, he's better than Jadavion Cloudy, you know, as a prospect. So the bottom line is, I, I don't even want to talk about Gregory anymore. But we can talk about, I mean, we can talk about character. We can have a show on character. We've done that before. Listen to the show last week. You know, Saturday show, we talked a little bit about character and stuff like that. You want to listen to that? Yeah, you know, a little bit of that. But uh, as far as Randy Gregory goes, with me at least, I don't want him. The fact that he smokes marijuana too and it's still multiple drug tests, I have a hard time thinking about drafting him in day three right now if I was actually a GM. Because I don't see – he's always been a developmental project. He's always been a project. Yeah. Not in terms of – you know, now, of course, people go, well, it's not in terms of technique, which is true, but it's a project in terms of getting him into being a better athlete and being bigger, which doesn't happen as often as people think. It's yeah, not, you, you, can't, you, you can't only make him a better athlete at this point, but you can make him bigger. But if, you can make him bigger. But you make this guy 255, what is he at that point? We don't know. People because he's not 255. Theories, right. People have these theories that he's like a losing thing. Oh, he's, he's got the frame. He'll be fine. He can carry 255 easily. He'll be just as explosive and just as fast, just as strong, just as, even stronger and all this stuff. But how do you know? But we don't know that. <laughs> this guy has played. So this is a two, huge gamble. This is 218 and about 240. He's played between 218 and about two fourths. Which now, makes sense is. because he gets bodied against most offensive tackles uh, that are decently sized. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just a checklist. Whenever I watch a defensive edge prospect, whatever, I don't want to see them being driven 10 yards downfield onto their right. butt. Right. Because of the mere fact that they – simple physics, Bill. Simple laws of gravity, if you will. The bigger man is going to push the smaller man, regardless of technique, regardless of leverage, regardless of anything, because the bigger man is just bigger. You don't like I don't the idea of Ryan Clady or, you know, even Nate Solder, who's nice like a powerhouse, but you don't like the idea of those guys getting their hands on it. So he he better have no. great technique because and he does have know, great, and he does have great technique, but that's the right. issue. It's a lot like Cyrus Quanjah last year. He was a guy everybody was like, he's just raw. Remember this, Bill? He's just raw. Yeah. He just needs to improve his technique, and he'll be better. We promise. He, he's his, just raw. When his, his knee magically grows back all that cartilage and stuff? Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. It's people who don't understand the difference between a guy who's lacking technique and a guy who's actually lacking the athleticism, the size, whatever, to actually be a really dynamic, you know, playmaker player. So, 
I'm, I'm, it, it is well. It is, yeah, okay. So I didn't want to make this all about this. Um, I did want to make sure that we discussed, we couldn't avoid it, obviously, but there's other guys who I think are going to go up in smoke as prospects, not, you know, to sort of do the phrase there, uh, that are going to, to burn. Either they're going to burn the team or burn themselves out because there's something inherently, well, yeah, flawed, I guess. I mean, I'm trying to... The fact is, these are we're looking at guys who are all really good college football players. We, we didn't need in the discussion if they weren't really great college football players, productive or sometimes not some of them are productive, but but guys who flash at least, or they wouldn't be in discussion. These guys wouldn't even be brought up if they didn't have something going for them. But that somebody that something isn't enough. The defensive tackle class, which I don't think it's discussed in my mind quite enough. Okay, someone talks about the running back class, and for obvious reasons, and then you have the edge class, which is discussed quite a bit for obvious reasons. And then sometimes you will people bring up the wide receiver class. Okay, well, it's not quite as good as last year, but man, it's pretty darn good. I don't think even the tackle class is just enough. I really like this tackle class. And I, I thought I liked it before, and now I think I like it even more. Um, done a little digging into some of the other guys, and there's some guys who are going to play that people are going to get on day three. Guys are going to be part of a rotation at the very least. So I'm going to ask you sort of to, if a guy is trash or, or, or cash, basically. And so in your case, Josh, you're going to let me know if you think a guy is going to, if a guy is cash, he's going to outperform basically where he's likely to be drafted. And if a guy is, you know, trash or whatever, you, you know, a guy who's not quite what you want, he's not going to perform up to the level where he's drafted. And I'm going to start with Florida State, Eddie Goldman. Some people actually have him, he's some people's number one. Uh, not many, but a few at D-Tackle. He's a guy that does have uh, quickness, and he's a guy that some people think can play multiple positions. But tell me about what you, you think he's a guy that, one, deserves to, be, to go early, day one, and two, do you think he'll outperform? Even if he's drafted in the middle of round one, will he even perhaps outperform that or – what do you think? Is he a guy who's going to end up being cash, or maybe he might end up being trash in Goldman? Well, I, I think uh, I, I think the, the biggest thing with him, because uh, like you said, this, this tackle class is deep, and it's really good. Um, I think it's a lot closer than what people think in terms of technique. Uh, I mean, obviously, you got the, the star players. Uh, with Goldman, oh, I don't know. He's a guy that I'm still trying to kind of get a grasp on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I think he does do a, a good job. Uh, you know, the, the the one thing I like is that he moves really well for 320 pounds. Um, right. I mean, he's a guy that you can line him up at the three technique. He can pinch to the eight gap, no problem. Uh, you know, his short area burst is extremely well. Uh, I think Danny Shelton is the best in terms of short area quickness uh, within the tackle box. But uh, the thing that I don't like about him. Um, he's inconsistent as a pass rusher. Uh, and that's one thing that this class is that I've watched, the more I watch with, the interior has really struggled with is their pass rush transition. Uh, sometimes right. you get guys who are really, really good at it, who just are balls to the wall and they're a read and react type of player. But a lot of these guys are, uh, they just, they anticipate too much. Um, you know, I just got done doing, uh, Leonard Williams, and the one thing that I think Goldman and Williams both do a lot of is they try and anticipate blocks. Yep. Uh, they try to read it before it happens instead of just 
you know, being disruptive and reading and reacting on the run. Um, and that's what hurts Goldman, in my opinion. Uh, there are also some times when he's kind of shifted down and played into the shade where he does get a little overpowered on double teams. Um, he doesn't do a very good job of sinking and sitting. Um, the one thing that you want to see when they do, uh, we call it sink and sit, you know, against a double team, is turn your shoulders but pull that inside offensive lineman through. It allows to create that separation and also allows you to be able to flip your hips back, you know, horizontal or, you know, perpendicular to the line of scrimmage and, you know, get forward presence. Uh, he doesn't do that. He literally just kind of sits. Um, if he misses with his hands, he's gone. Uh, he's done. He's going to be driven off the ball. Um, and another thing that I really don't like about him is that he's kind of lazy. Um, within the box, uh, if the play is going to him, or you know, say it's a hash to the to the sideline, and it, you know it's being you know the ball is being ran into the boundary, really good hustle. If the ball is on the hash and it's running to the field, and he's on the backside, uh, he kind of lollygags. Uh, that's something that you know for me that that's a that's a pride thing. It's an effort thing, and you know I don't like that. Uh, it basically just means you're, you're trying to save yourself, uh, but really you're hurting your hurting your team more than you think. Uh, so I, I think he's a guy who's going to be drafted just solely based off a of need in the first round. I think he's going to be a late first rounder, um, anywhere between uh, you know 25 and 32. I've seen a lot of people have him anywhere between that range. Uh, you know, a lot of people that I've looked at before I've even done mine uh, have him at 32 in their latest. I don't see it. Um, but, I mean, it's going to go off of, I mean, you guys know this better than anybody. Uh, there's always going to be that one pick where people are going to be scratching their head, and I think in, in terms of the defensive line class, the, the tackle is particular, uh, he could be that one pick where people are kind of scratching their head going, I think they might have reached on this one. Um yeah, I and mean, that's that's kind of my take on him. I'm still trying to get a little bit better grasp on him. Uh, I have him as my fourth best D tackle, but uh, you know it's going to be going from there. You know, obviously those top three um, are all pretty similar, but they're also an extreme drop off uh, production wise. Okay, I'm going to stick with you know obviously the position, and I'm going to ask you to pick. Two more guys, and then I'll, I'll jump to Jim. Uh, the next guy is a guy that I, I see some people designating as a riser, a guy that uh, people think might be you know, moving up or things like that, which is always a fascinating thing. Uh, you know, uh, the the whole hey, this guy is you know, hey, if you learn more about him or whatever it is, or but Jordan Phillips is a guy that is you know obviously people talk about upside and they talk about frame and. We talk about well, that's pretty much all I talk about. We talk about Jordan Phillips actually upside and uh, His tape is wildly inconsistent, and the, you know you you can find things to like about him if you want to like him, and you can definitely find things to be not very enthusiastic about if you are someone who doesn't like him. But I want you to do once again same thing. Is this guy cash? Is he going to be you know somebody going to feel really great later about the fact that they got this guy wherever they got him, or is he going to be a guy that? We're going to look back later and, as you said, say, oh, oof, maybe you should have waited. Uh, Jordan Phillips from the defensive tackle from uh, Oklahoma. 
Well, first and foremost, I want to apologize because I just lied to you guys. Uh, instead of Goldman being the guy that scratched your head, it's going to be Phillips. Um, <laughs> and, and this and this is why. Um, okay. I like I like Goldman more than Phillips. Uh, the thing that I don't like about Phillips is number one, he's a redshirt sophomore, and like you said, his tape is way too inconsistent for me. There's times where again he anticipates and as a nose, you better not, especially in a three-four. Uh, you better not anticipate. And he anticipates. He gets blown off. Well, there's a game I watched at TCU where he's mm-hmm. expecting to get cut because they cut him three plays in a row trying to run bubble. He's expecting to get cut, and he gets just plastic. Uh, I don't like him at all. I think his hands are really bad. Um, yep. He's a really good motor. Uh, like you said, his potential is there. When you watch, you say, I, I try to watch – each player that's the same way. Um, I, I try to go in with a with an even mind. Um, that's kind of why I think Leonard Williams opened up to me so much because in the beginning, I mean, you know this, in the beginning I didn't like him uh, very much. I thought he was kind of inconsistent. But with Phillips, I, I don't know what people are seeing. Um, he has a fact that he's 6'5", 329, and he moves fairly that's well. That's what they're seeing. That's what they're seeing. It's awesome, but Another prime example, this is a guy that, again, we have talked about before, Tyson Oluwalu. Uh mm, Was he yeah. should have been drafted in, in the top ten when he, when he went? No. Was no. he? Yes. And, and Phillips is a guy that people – there's a lot of people out there who think that he could be, based off of need or, you know, a run, could be that top 15, top 20 guy. And I – I don't see that. For, for me, when I watch these defensive linemen, the biggest thing that I want, if I'm going to draft you in the first round, is I want you to at least have a solid base under you so that all I have to do in terms of my coaching staff is really refine your skills. Leonard Williams, Malcolm Brown, Danny Shelton, uh, even Eric Armstead, who, who's still a pretty raw athlete, uh, but the key word there is an athlete. Uh, you can make a football player out of an athlete, but his tape and technique is, is, has an okay base. Phillips, he's still pretty raw uh, completely uh, in terms of the mental aspect, the physical aspect. I mean, there's times where he gets just massively overpowered, uh, but there's also times, you know, an example when they played Iowa State where he destroyed. And it's, but Iowa State's you know, one of the worst teams in the country and easily one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, or the Big 12. Um, I think he's a guy who, who's going to definitely make people's head scratch. Now, to reverse that, everything you do see with his tape, oh, his hands are a little bad here, that, that's something that can be fixed. Oh, well, his motor stops here, that's something that we can nip quickly. Uh, if there's any defensive lineman in this class who has a really high ceiling, I think next to Leonard Williams, I think, Jordan Phillips might have the, the second highest ceiling in terms of what you could potentially do with this kid. Now, if there's the biggest risk, it's easily going to Jordan Phillips right. because people are overlooking it. You know, people are overlooking this kid, and you know, it's like I said, uh, people are seeing potential rather than the product. And if you're going to take a defensive lineman in the first round, you better be taking a product. Uh, take the Jacksonville Jaguars, for example. I mean, hell, even a couple of years ago, I believe it was in the early, uh, late 2000s, 
when the Vikings took your ass as James or Kenichi Udezi. Yeah. Make sure you're getting a finished product because if you don't, it's really going to hinder you. Uh, look at, you know, even Gerald McCoy when he came out. wasn't necessarily, He was a great player, but he wasn't necessarily a finished product. But now look at it. He's, he's a finished product. He's a great coaching. So you have to be careful with this kid. Um, this is the one that I'm nervous about the most. And I'm also, he's another one of those defensive linemen within my top ten that I'm trying to get a real good grasp on. But, you know, one guy who I like him a little bit more than Phillips, and I think could even go a little bit higher than uh, than Goldman, is Carl Davis. Oh, I you think Carl Davis my mind. That's I the third I'm going to ask you about. Go ahead. I think, I think Carl Davis or Xavier Cooper could be guys who are going to be on the rise. Um, the one thing I like about Carl Davis is the fact that, well, number one, he's an Iowa guy. Uh, Iowa defensive linemen or guys who come from the trenches completely are usually pretty refined when by the time they get to the NFL uh, in terms of, you know, they have a solid technique base around them. Uh, I would venture to say, uh, and this may be some bias, um, I'm, I'm going to say that it's going to be biased, but I think in terms of coaching, I think the University of Iowa, trench-wise, has, might have some of the best coaching in the entire country, um, you know, in the offensive and defensive line. Uh, you know, an example this year, uh, you know, they had Adrian Claiborne came out a couple of years ago, and then, uh, geez, they had... Louis Trinkett-Passat, who was a senior this year. They had Carl Davis, who was a senior this year. And then they had a guy who nobody was talking about in Drew Ott show up this year, who was, I believe, if I if I remember the stats right, was in the top five in sacks in the Big Ten. And he, but he, wasn't even, he didn't even scrape the, the list, the honorable mention list, uh, in terms of that sack list for the Big Ten as a junior. So their, their coaching is really good, and that's the one thing I like about Davis. And the other thing I like is that he's kind of a versatile player. Uh, you know, with Trinka Passat, uh, you're, you're getting kind of the, the same player. Uh, you're, you know, 6'5", 320. Passat was 6'1", 290. But they were guys that you could kind of reverse. Uh, they could play both a one and a three, which makes Davis interesting because – he played the three technique as a junior, and then they moved him back inside and, and played the shade for the majority of that second half of the junior season and his complete as a senior. And one thing about the Iowa you know, defensive line that people kind of are starting to get a grasp on is that they're not asked in the interior to get penetration. They're asked to basically win at the line of scrimmage. They're not asked to go deep. Uh, they're basically asked to go forward and then be able to play lateral, uh, which helps in their run defense. Do I agree with it? Not necessarily, because then we get <laughs> into the talk that we're having now. But when he went to the senior bowl, I, I, the other kid, you know, the last time I was on, I talked about Grady Jarrett, who I thought showed up in the pass rush game, but who actually showed up the entire week, in my opinion, was Carl Davis. He proved that as a pass rusher, he can get forward that he has more than just a bull rush. He has a nice little swim, uh, club swim, club rip, whatever uh, works for him. Uh, he, I, I saw him, you know, with my own eyes, work all three of them. And with the exception of Danny Shelton, there wasn't another true shade that was 
being stopped. Um, I mean, he was having a ball. And then, of course, in the run game, he proved that he can move laterally and get penetration when he has to uh, in terms of different types of movements, pitches, slants, and things like that. People are, you know, oh, he didn't test very well, which is, you know, for me as a defensive lineman, the testing only goes so far. Uh, I don't care what a defensive lineman runs his 40 in. I want what his 10, you know, what his 10-yard split is. Uh, I want to see how explosive he is in the in the vertical and the broad jump. Um, but I, like I said, I like Davis. I think the tools that he has makes him refined. And a team that I think he fits great with, he says he's going to be a late first-round pick. He's not going to be a guy who's going to be in the top 15. But you get him to a team like Green Bay, uh, pair him up with his buddy, who is Mike Daniels, another former uh, Iowa D lineman, and you have yourself a pretty solid base uh, to work with. And then, of course, you know, everybody knows what they have in the linebacking core and on the edges. I think that if he's drafted in that 30 range or even the 25, uh, I think the highest he could go is 25. I think the lowest he could go is middle of the second round. But if he's drafted in the first, he will outplay his draft position. If he's drafted, you know, in the 30s, I think he could potentially play, you know, to the level of a, of a top 15 guy like a Malcolm Brown or a Danny Sheldon or a Leonard Williams. It's all going to be depending on who fits his – or whose scheme he fits. And watching it, I – you know, watching him enough, I, I can't find another team that fits him better than Green Bay. Um, so, I mean, I – for me personally, I mean, I'm already calling my shot now. I think he goes to Green Bay. I think that's the match made in heaven, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it how he moves forward. But he's a guy who I really like. The other two, you know, that we mentioned, Goldman and, and Phillips, you know, uh, as everybody kind of says with that, you know, buyer beware. Um, make sure that you have high risk, high reward uh, coming, you know, full steam ahead. Got it. So, Jim Coburn, you've heard him. They, you know, basically called about a 50-50 on one guy, a definite sort of trash call, it sounds like, on one, and a cash call, it sounds like, on, on Carl Davis. Based on your metrical analysis of these players, are you in agreement? Do you disagree? What do you see? What do you think? Well, Jordan Phillips, you could say he's trash. You could say that. Um just because uh, you can say that uh, he's a 22.62 year old redshirt sophomore, so he's not he wasn't a little 20 year old baby that was playing football last year. He was pretty old, had a lot of injury history. Uh, on top of that, you watch the tape, uh, bad technique overall. Um, in terms of his production, he was bottom 35 in solo tackle uh, percentile. He was bottom 31 in terms of sacks. Uh, he's bottom uh, 44 in terms of tackle for loss percentile, in terms of market share tackle for loss. Uh, and the threshold for those specific places, that's top 32 for solo tackle, top 25 for sack, and top 25 for CFL, for 100% of all the all-pro defensive tackles uh, since 1996, which includes Warren Sapp, by the way. Uh, so Warren Sapp to now, 100% of the all multiple all-pro defensive tackles hit those specific thresholds. He didn't hit any of those thresholds. Um, on top of that, athleticism-wise, 
he's a solid overall athlete, but he's not like an elite elite athlete for his size. Uh, he's definitely very big, you know, about six five, three hundred twenty nine pounds. Um, but he's not a, you know, again, he's not an elite athlete for any of that sort of stuff. Um, but overall, with his production, with his athleticism, and with everything else, uh, you're looking at a guy that is uh, a backup possible long-term backup nose tackle prospect, which is what he was in Oklahoma, uh, which is something that people kind of ignore. Uh, you, the fact is the, the evidence, I would say, is overwhelming uh, to point towards Jordan Phillips. Uh, be, if he was a top 25 pick, if he get a start for a little bit, if he's a, if he's a first-round pick, absolutely. But it will have more to do with the fact that he was a first-round pick than actually his ability to play football. So, and this is based on tape and based on everything else. Okay, so you're confirming the cat, the trash call. Uh, let's jump now to, to Mr. Goldman. Uh, what do you think from him of him as a from a metrical standpoint? He's a tough call, man. Uh, he's um, you know, he hasn't tested athletically yet. Uh, yeah, we can figure that out at the Florida State Pro Day. I. Thinking he'll probably test similar to like Marcel Darius. I'm thinking. I'm not 100 sure, but he's definitely like that size, six three three, you know, six three three twenty. So obviously, really big size for like a five tech or a or a uh, one tech or some sort of thing, a four three. Um, same issue with him, production wise. Uh, was top 48 in solo tackle percentages, but not. A lot of that can be attributed to when you watch Eddie Goldman on tape. Is he chasing plays to the sidelines? No. Uh, is he trying to make extra, you know, that extra play, that extra effort uh, once the play is, is done at the line of scrimmage? No. He's very much a line of scrimmage type player, and because of that, he needs to be really, really dynamic in terms of sack tackle for loss. He's going to be a really effective player. Now, what he was good at is he was top eight in sack percentile, so he hit that. He hit that you know, production threshold in terms of market share sacks, uh, but he was only top 32 in tackle for, tackle for loss. Um, he's also very young. You know, he's about 21 years old. He's, he's easily one of the youngest defense tackles come in in a while. And typically uh, what I've seen is defensive tackles that are that young, that have really good athleticism. Albert Hainsworth is an example of that. Uh, guys that are that young with that athleticism, uh, with eh production, can become very successful players, uh, like Albert Hainsworth. The only thing is, I don't think he's going to test anywhere near Albert Hainsworth. Uh, and of course, he's not as tall as, you know, in terms of leverage advantage, he's not as uh, tall as Albert Hainsworth was, or as big as he was for his, you know, in terms of his height and stuff like that. So I would say Goldman in the first round is you're risking it for the biscuit. Uh, is uh, what I might say. Uh, and I would say he'd be a much safer pick in day two. Um, and, and this is also based on tape and based on what I know right now. Uh, if he tested really well as an athlete, I'd still say he's a day two pick uh, because there's just not enough production there. Um, there's just not enough on tape uh, to really get that excited about him other than, you know, the sacks and stuff like that. And – Again, a first-round defensive tackle to me hits all those hits the athleticism, hits the production, you know, hits all those sort of areas. He didn't hit, you know, he only hit the X, that's it. 
So, and he is young and stuff like that. But I would just say risk-wise, you know, being risk-averse, I'd say day two is where you would – where I would suggest you get Eddie Goldman. Okay. And last but certainly not least, Carl Davis, uh, using your same sort of methodology, do you think he's more likely to be treasure or trash? I mean, cash or trash, sorry. Um, I mean, he's not going to be like uh, – if he's successful, he's not going to be like – you're not going to be raining, you know, making it rain in a strip club or anything. He's successful. Um, he's definitely has size. He's 6'5", 320, uh, which, you know, what I told you about five techs, right? Six five. So he hits that. If you want a five tech, he definitely has the physical makeup of a uh, three four defensive end. Uh, five tech sort of position, or even four three five tech. A uh, couple knocks on him, you know, age. You know, he was 23.18 on draft day. Uh, he didn't hit the top 33 percentile threshold for multiple All-Pro players, uh, which is, you know, it lowers his upside to certain extent. Just because all the guys since Warren Sapp have been relatively, you know, in a younger area. It's, I'm not going to say, like, that's going to be the doom is his age, but it's just something to monitor, I guess, because nobody at his age really became uh, tremendously dynamic players. Um, Production-wise, eh, production, you know, bottom 35 in solo tackles, bottom 34 at sacks, uh, but, only, but tw- you know, top 23 in tackles for loss. Um, I do understand the sort of, oh, well, it's the scheme. It's the scheme. It's the, you know, it's the scheme that did this. It caused all the problems for Carl Davis. And yet, with a sample size of, ugh, like, nine, 910 defensive tackles since 1996, all those guys were probably in schemes that were detrimental to them. And yet, the cream rise in those schemes. Um, I do understand. I mean, I get why people would say that uh, it's a scheme. He was told not to do this, and that's why he was restraining himself, something like that. But at the same time, he didn't do those things that the other really special players did, um, which is concerning because, I mean, you're talking about a guy that is older, uh, played his team, where he did have a lot of practice, I guess, in terms of being a really dynamic player. And on top of that, uh, but but the positives, but the positives are, are there as well. I mean, positives are he's a great athlete. He tested well at the combine. I, I don't know. Uh, I guess I guess there might have been t- hearing somebody say he didn't test well or something like that. For a six five three hundred twenty pound guy, he actually tested really well. Uh, he was top fifteen in explosive lower body strength uh, in terms of that percentile. He was top twenty eight in terms of speed, and he was top thirty two in terms of dynamic speed for his size. So he's actually a really good athlete for his size. Um, tested similar. He tested in the same vein of guys like you know like Marcus Stroud, you know Jose Nata, and Igor Olchansky. Uh, those types of guys. So he's very much in the mold of a five-tech, uh, you know, big interior type uh, player. Where I would take him, you know, as a risk-averse person, I would say fourth round. And it's only because, again, uh, the production was really not there except for tackles for loss, and is a little older as well as a prospect. And tape-wise, Again, this was supposed to be the year that Carl Davis – so, yeah, I watched the tape before the season. Everybody was super excited about Carl Davis. I was super excited about Carl Davis. He was going to unleash hell this year, yeah. 
And he didn't do it. Um, did he do it at the Cedar Bowl? Sure. Does he have uh, an assortment of really good technique and stuff like that? Absolutely. But I think what you're going to get in Carl Davis is someone, like we talked about before, like a Red Bryant, uh, you know, like a, uh, you know, he's going to be cash. But he's not going to be a lot of cash. Okay. So he's he's going to be somebody, in my opinion, he's going to be somebody who's going to be a starter. Uh, he's going to have a pretty decent career because of his size, because of his athleticism, because of everything else. But is he ever really going to be that tremendously dynamic, you know, dominant player for years? Like for five, is he going to be like a multiple all-pro player, pro bowl player for like five to six straight years? I don't really see that. I just see a guy that's just going to have a role, that's going to start, going to be a good player, uh, but not necessarily someone that is really worth a first-round pick just in terms of how much he's really going to impact the game. Unless, unless I, I, I mean, if you're 314, I can't fault you for taking a guy like him because you, you really have no choice. <laughs> you know, like you have to get guys that have the size. If you're Pittsburgh. As much as you don't like the fact that Carl Davis went to Pittsburgh, you would hate it. But I actually, love it. I, 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 but I, but I, but I make sense at least. It would make sense. But and it makes sense because you need to replenish that defensive line. Oh, Carl Davis definitely. is not going to be like ridiculously productive. But then again, you don't want him doing that. You want him doing the role he had at Iowa. But if you're trying to get him to be a tremendous, and this is maybe the other, I guess, the flip the positive side of it, is that you know I don't think he's ever going to be like a oh my gosh crazy, like, ridiculous guy, but he can have a role at a certain defense, do that role well, and as far as Pittsburgh goes, if you're staying with the 3-4, because I don't know what you're doing at Pittsburgh, uh, but if you're staying with the 3-4, I don't know why you wouldn't get a guy like him. And that's also why I think Green Bay Packers is a great, I, you know, seem to point out as well, just because they're a, another 3-4 team that, you know, they have Dayton Jones, but he's been kind of, you know, eh-ish. You know, and then of course, you know they they have that other I forgot his name, but they've they've been needed to replace that defensive line for a while. So I think that Carl Davis would definitely sit there and fit on pretty much any other three fourteen. Okay, and he's waited patiently, but it's time to commence the party because there ain't no party like a matzo hotty party because a matzo hotty party goes up. We have Mr. Montel Hardy with us. How you doing, Montel? <laughs> doing good, Bill. How's everybody? Oh, fantastic. So, we're playing a little cash or trash with some defensive tackles. And the, fir- the, the first three, everyone seems to sort of be on board with certain guys. So, I don't want to spend time on the guys that everybody kind of seems to be in agreement about. So, we're talking about the guys where divergence of opinion tends to take place. So, it's the second tier, we would call them, the, uh, the defensive tackle. And that includes, of course, Carl Davis, uh, Mr. Goldman at Florida State University, and George Phillips at Oklahoma. And I'll ask you what I asked the others. Uh, of those guys, well, let's go through them. Um, do you think amongst the guys you're staffing? So let's start with, let's get Carl Davis. Based on your analysis, based on what you've seen, do you think this guy's going to be in cash or trash, based on where he's likely to be drafted? If you take him in the top 25, um, you might be looking a little bit closer to to trash. I mean, as a defensive tackle, I mean, you know, there's different things, different systems ask of you. I think a guy like a Carl Davis, 
if you need him to do, it depends on what you need from him. If you need this guy to come in and just eat some space for you and help you out maybe with some edge prospects, then yeah, then maybe this is a great idea, you know. But if you say, hey, uh, we have a defense that's, you know, being completely remodeled and we're going to just plug in Carl Davis here to kind of, you know, be that transcendent ball player, then I think you're you're probably looking at trash. Now, I like his blend of size and strength, and I think, like, James kind of like, you know, kind of like highlighted it well, that this was supposed to be a big year for him, but he actually was very, I mean, not very unproductive, but, you know, he didn't quite uh, didn't quite get there. But I really like his upper body strength. I'll say that. Um, some of his tape, he kind of shows us off. I kind of don't see, like, that smooth transition from power from his legs, like, all the way up, you know, to his chest as he's, like, fighting through the line and doing those types of things. But he's 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 a guy who can be pretty good. But um, I just I just think, once again, he's – I don't know in terms of upside what's there because when you see him play, you know he plays smaller than he is. Uh, so I just hope maybe he gets a proper coaching to get better. Um, but he's going to be a starter. I mean, you've got – you draft him, you'll get maybe a, a five, seven-year starter defensive tackle if he's healthy at least, and uh, I think you can do fine with that. Um, just once again, no, you're not drafting a transcendent defensive player. You're drafting, you know, a guy who can come in, maybe push the pocket a little bit, a little, you know, ability to stack at the line and uh, move people around and, you know, mess up plays, disrupt a little bit, but – you know, he's he's just not going to be that, that huge playmaker. And I think if you get him in round two or if you get him in the last few picks of the first, he'll be okay. But, you know, don't don't fall in love with the guy is my point. Okay. Same question about Mr. Goldman. Um, based on where he thinks he's likely to be drafted, do you think he's more likely to be cash or trash? I really like Eddie Goldman. I really, I really like Goldman. I, um... Ah, when I went through the first time around, I, I gave him a first round grade, then I went through it again, and I said, well, he might go on. He might be one of those guys who go around too. But you know, I'm sure you know we we covered a lot, Bill. You know, you look. Everyone doesn't have you know. I mean, I have about 24 first round, 24, 25 first round grades, and and not everyone does. So some teams are going to do some really goofy things <laughs> after pick 22, 23. So, um, you know. If you have to, you know, take a guy who maybe shouldn't go in the first, I mean, I I could accept it if he's a Goldman. He's uh, about 315, maybe 315, maybe a little more than that. But he moves well with it, you know, and he's got the type of build to support it. And he's quick, you know. He's, he explodes off the ball. That's what, you know, as I'm looking through my notes here, you know, he explodes off the ball well. And he just does a good job of kind of bending. And he can, you know, handle kind of double teams good enough. And he can he can anchor well. I mean, I'd say if you're looking for a guy that can really help you out, I'd definitely take Goldman before I take uh, before I take uh, Carl Davis. Uh, two, three times over, I take Goldman. So uh, he's a big guy. He can play strong, and and he's smart. You know, I, you definitely see the ball awareness there, and that's important as a defensive tackle because you know when you're pushing the pocket, you got to know what for, right? So uh, when you're breaking through the line, you got to know what for. So um, he he's great. Um, I just think he's got to do a better job in terms of. Uh, I mean, he's already a very good run stopper, but I see the pass. I, I see the potential for him to be disruptive in the pass game as well. But he hasn't quite proved it as consistently as I like. You know, uh, sometimes he, maybe it's just because he's so big, but sometimes he can't quite get through these little creases in the offensive line. You know, and hit the quarterback. So uh, I really want to see him take the next step there. But I, I really like Eddie Goldman's upside. I really do. 
Okay. And last but not least, we finish with Mr. Jordan Phillips. You know, Jordan Phillips, and, and I might have to recuse myself on this, because when it comes to Jordan Phillips, you know, everyone was like, ah, you know, I think Danny Sheldon, you can get Jordan Phillips. You know, he's a better ass. I mean, come on. You know, my whole T.O., and I guess it was one of those things where it's kind of like, well, you know, three, four months ago, people didn't know who Jordan Phillips was. So maybe if I bring him up in a conversation, I'll sound smart, you know, or I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was, but people fall in love with these mystery prospects, you know, and they try to say, yeah, you know, I can get this much production from a guy who you don't even know about. So boom, you know, and the truth is maybe you can't, maybe you can't. And I give it to him, you know, if you look at say, planet theory, right? Like Jordan Phillips is the type of size that you don't see from a lot of guys, right? That tall, that big. I mean, I can understand when you look at him why you'd say, okay, this dude can play, you know? But, um, and and there's some quickness there. There's some agility. Um, He's got a great build, NFL body, but I don't know. I don't know if he's, you know, completely in terms of, like ready in terms of NFL play. Now, a lot of people say he's just scratched the surface of his potential. I think that's over. That's over exaggerating it. Um, he can get better, but I don't think he's, you know, I don't think the ceiling is quite as high. But uh, one thing I can say about him is that he's, you know, he's got quick hands. And we've seen it on occasion. The guy's got some power. You know, he can knock centers back on their feet, you know, when he's ready to do that type of thing. And I don't know. I just think at the end of the day, he's just a little inconsistent in his technique. You know, the hand, I don't know if he gets tired, but sometimes the hand usage is good and sometimes it's bad. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes he makes plays. Sometimes yeah, yeah, sometimes it's non-existent. Yeah, yeah, so you don't know what he's going to do, you know. So you know he can anchor, right? He can space some – he can he can eat some space. Um, but he's not very rangy. Not that you have to be a defensive tackle, but sometimes there's a guy that will run right in that kind of uh, – that A-gap, that one gap right beside him. And usually, you know, if you have a Sheldon or even a Carl Davis, they'll just stick that arm out there and just catch you, you know. No, you don't, <laughs> you know. But there are guys who that's, can that's just like, – That's like yeah. 33% of Danny Sheldon's tackles are the whole clothesline you always try to go by, say. Yeah, and that's okay though. But but with Jordan Phillips, you can you can cruise right by him. He, he's on. He's not reaching out there to make that tackle, and that's the concerning part because you gotta you gotta make those kind of plays if you're gonna be a true nose. You know, you gotta be there. So, um, also he's a little nosy. You know, he watch the backfield a little bit, playing. Uh, I, I think he wants to know what's going on back there. So that's the thing you gotta worry about is with him and the tape and where his head is. I don't really get it. Some plays. He's watching the ball the whole time and doesn't really get through the line to make the play. On other plays, he's um, he's bursting through the line and has no clue where the ball is. So, I, you know, it, it's just uh, in terms of game IQ, when he puts it together, it'll get better. And I think that's the thing scouts say and say, ooh, if you can teach him what to do there, he'll be effective. Well, you know, you got to hope he's powerful enough and he's rangy enough to make the play. But, you know, yeah, you know, the, one day the light bulb is going to go off and he can be, you know, a productive player, but he's trash if you're looking round one for this guy. Personally, I think round two, I mean, I'm just going to say round two, but, you know, you, you know, but he's a nose tackle. They, they fall in and out of love with these guys. He could go in round three, and we'd all be, I mean, we wouldn't all be shocked, but some of us would be, right? So, um, but, yeah, I think middle to late round two is what I do. Um, I feel like the demand for some of those tackles, you look at teams like the Chargers, maybe like the Bears, it's just going to be a little bit more in demand than it used to be, so maybe he does go earlier. But you just you can't take him before round two. I just 
I, I don't know how you can forgive yourself doing it. Uh, and if so, I just don't. I really like to see what your justification is. Well, I'm going to stick with you, Montel, and we'll go back around the room in a moment. So sticking with you for the moment, I'm going to split to three more guys. So uh, Michael Bennett from Ohio State, we'll, we'll pair him, or let's say pair him. I guess there were three of them, because it's not really a pair. I guess the Detroit uh, We'll link him up with Brady Jarrett, Simpson, and Bobby Richardson, who is one of the number of guys who's, quote, unquote, rising uh, of Indiana. So let's start with Michael Bennett, probably the best known and most discussed of those three thus, thus far. Uh, based on where he's likely to go, and I, I think most people have him in the second. Uh, some people think he might go late in the first, but it seems like most people say second. Uh, I don't see him outside of the top 50 or so by almost anybody. But start with him, Michael Bennett. Uh, what do you think? of this guy. You know, is he, based on if he goes somewhere between 30 and 55, which seems to be what most people think, uh, cash or trash? Well, I I really like him, but, I mean, I don't know. In all seriousness, he could go in round three, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't even be mad, to be honest. Um, one thing I like about him, and I like several things about him, A, you know the way he was used in Ohio State, right? You know, he was there to anchor in each space, and he was good at it. You know, he was there to make sure, hey, you're not going to run this way. You know, I might not tackle you, but you will not run in my lane. So um, that's what I liked about him because he had, you know, great balance at the line of scrimmage. He handled his double teams fairly well, you know, um, didn't always burst through them, but, but was able to sit there and anchor. Um, and, and there were some times where he was kind of working off the blocks and, and kind of getting through a little bit. So, um, the thing about him is, and this is, you know, we, we, you know, I'm sure you know this too, from seeing him is that, you know, he's playing some one-tech-ish, but he's got a lot of three-tech traits. And to me, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I really like to take this guy, just make him a three-tech, and I tell him, you know, you don't even have to lose a pound. Just just do you. You know, just sit here and just be great. And, yeah, you're going to be, you know, in the 290s. But, um, and I say that because this is the guy who, when he wins, he wins with quickness. Uh, and I think that's very important because uh, he, he's, you know, he has good backfield vision. I like his ball awareness. Um, if he's going with quickness there, he can kind of burst in and make some plays. Uh, one thing I do um, think is that that's his best value right there. So if you're going to take him uh, between, you said pick between picks 30 and 55, though, right? Is that what you? That's where I usually send it. I mean, I don't know what you've seen, but that's where I've seen him. Yeah, yeah, and I could see it too. And if I'm taking him, that's what I got to do to him. But if you say I got to take a guy like uh, I got to take Michael Bennett and make him uh, a true uh, nose or a one tech, I can't take him in the first two rounds because he's not really a people mover. Um, he's not the type of guy that can just win with power, with power, with power. He doesn't overwhelm you with the strength, you know, so he, he's just pretty good there. You know, the guy's not, you know, the dancing bear, I guess you could say, a lot of these one techs and those techs are. He's not quite in that mold. Um, one thing I do see is that um, I kind of wonder about his, his, uh, his stamina level, you know, what kind of shape he'll be in when he comes into camp, what kind of shape he was. It didn't seem like until just about the end of the year with Ohio State that he was really um, on-field, ready, 100%, play after play after play, you know, just kind of with that motor. Because, you know, he's got a high motor, but when you're tired, you're tired. But, um, you know, he's he's quick. 
Um, I like the way he uses his body, and I just kind of feel like you play him as a three-tech and you can book it. You've got yourself a, a, a serviceable ball player for a good while. But as a true nose, you might be looking at trash. Or, or as a one-tech, you might you might be looking at trash. But I, I think you've got cash cash money. If you get this guy in round two and you say he's going to be a three-tech, if you're a team like the Patriots that can get a hold of this guy, I think you've got yourself a real win. Got it. Okay. Uh, second on our list is Mr. Grady Jarrett. Uh, same question. And obviously he's projected to go by most people later. Uh, I see him mostly in the mid-second to some people even have him in the early third. Once again, you know, there's a divergence of opinion. Some people like him more, some people like him less. But based on, and on you know, you can go by what you see in terms of his rankings uh, if you've seen stuff that's different from that. But based on what you've seen or what what you know about where he's likely to go, cash or trash for uh, Grady Jarrett? I probably have seen maybe the least film of him out of all the guys, but from what I have seen on him, okay, uh, shorter than all the guys we mentioned, right? I mean, the guy might small. be maybe yeah, six he's foot even. Yeah, yeah he's, shortest he's, and the lightest. Mm-hmm. He's the smallest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Yeah, but for a guy that's shorter, he's very strong. And that's what I did see is, you know, and I did some uh, research on the guy because I was uh, putting my big board together, and he didn't make my top 50, but I really think he's a third-round pick. I think he'll be maybe third to fourth. I think, you know, if, if there's a, ever going to be a run on uh, defensive tackles, it'll be maybe third, fourth round, and he'll be one of the guys that go. Uh, before his size, you know, he plays very strong. He's very powerful. Uh, former uh, former shot put champion in high school, so you know that that strength and and how he you know moves his uh, arms and his body. You know he's got some training there. Um, the only thing I worry about is that um, I don't know. Like when I look at his tape, I just kind of think of um, it looks like he's you know not very. I mean, this is a passing league now, and I don't really see this guy consistently pushing the pocket and really wreaking havoc. I see this guy helping out in the run game. I see him you know, messing up a lot of these, you know, these tosses, these strip plays, when guards pull, he can do some different things. But um, generally, I don't know if he can help, really help you against the pass. I don't know if he's a whole lot of help there. I don't think he's going to be, uh, maybe he'll be coached up and stuff like that. But um, to me, I see him, you get him in maybe the fourth round, third round, third round, and, and he's just a rotational guy. Uh, maybe get him off the field on third down and, and just see where you go, see where he goes from there. Um but I do like the fact, you know, uh, being a shorter guy, you know, you, you win, you know, you, you play with good leverage, and it, it helps out. And uh, so I'm, I've got some mixed feelings about Grady Jarrett, but there's a role for him on the NFL team. And if you take him mid to late round three, I think you, you've got yourself a good ball player. Um, but once again, if we're going to go cash or trash here, don't, don't think he's an every-down starter yet. I don't have enough evidence to just to suggest that, but I can say he'll be a strong rotational piece of defensive tackle. And last but not least, amongst this rotation of guys for cash and trash, what do you think of Bobby Richardson, who I I seem to be gaining some some wind behind him recently? Hmm, Bobby Richardson. Uh, you know, in all seriousness, I have I've seen very little tape, so I'll, I think I'll defer to you guys on Bobby Richardson. Uh, tell me, tell me your thoughts on him. Well, uh, I'll swing it around to Josh first. We'll talk him, and then I'll give you 
you know, a few impressions as well. But same three guys, uh, Josh Zimmer. We yeah. have Michael Bennett, who, of course, has been fairly well discussed. Some people love him. Everyone seems to at least like him. Uh, Jared's the guy that not everybody loves. Some people really love him. Some people have him, you know, in their top four amongst the tackles. And some people have him, like, eight. <laughs> you know, so there's some divergence there. Obviously, it's a smaller cat than the other we've discussed. And then a quote-unquote late riser in Bobby Richardson. And we'll spend a little more time on him since he seems to be not as well-known as the others. But give me your, your feelings about those three guys. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. It's on a little bit of delay. I'm in the mountains, so it, it's kind of uh, bouncing off here and there. I'm, I'm actually at the cabin bear hunting, so. Oh, uh, oh. You stop your bragging. <laughs> oh, man, Josh and his hunting, dude, man. This guy, said, this guy. Here's a great thing. Here's a great thing. When when this guy, Josh Zimmer, goes bear hunting, all he uses is a belt. He just takes his belt off. Wow. Drop <laughs> I wish. I actually use my brother as bait. Uh, I'll let him be the one. He's he's a little bit faster. He can climb. Uh, so I'll let him be the bait, and then I'll just I'll take it from there. But, uh, no, so we said Bobby Richardson, Michael Bennett, and Grady Jenning. Uh, Grady yep. Jarrett. I'll, uh, I'll start with Bobby Richardson first. Uh, he's a guy I'm kind of – I'm starting to like him a little bit. Uh, I like the fact that um, – He's a big dude. I mean, 6'3", 283. Uh, he moves somewhat fairly well. Uh, pretty explosive. Um, I mean, he didn't test the greatest, and even his 10-yard uh, split wasn't uh, superbly impressive. I mean, it was 184. Uh, that's not bad. It's not, you know, obviously uh, outstanding, you know, in terms of the top tier. But some of the things he does well uh, and some of the things that I think he could do well uh, put into, you know, the right scheme is he has really good feet. Uh, I think the one thing that he'll be able to do is he'll be able to be uh, kind of like uh, he's going to be. I, I think he's going to be a little bit of a smaller Zach Kerr type of guy, uh, you know, a guy that people that you really liked last year. Um, I think with him, he'll be able to come in on pass rush downs and kind of develop, uh, or even a guy who people may know, like a Tom Johnson uh, for the Vikings. Uh, guy doesn't play a whole lot of run snaps, but he he gets into just about every passing. Uh, situation that the Vikings are in, uh, and they throw him in on, you know, on third down, and they run some games with him. He has really good feet. Um, he's a decent pass rusher. Uh, you can tell that there's something there that he can use. Uh, it just has to be refined. Um, overall, he's definitely a project. I like the fact that um, you know he's kind of a for him. It's kind of a cool story. I mean, he's a guy that not a whole lot of people were talking about, and then he comes in and you know kind of flew under the radar. And slowly and surely, you know, the train's starting to pick up on him a little bit. Um, yep. He's a guy that I haven't watched, uh, you know, an extreme amount of tape on, uh, but he's definitely a guy that I'm going to be keeping my eye on uh, just because everybody else is starting to uh, talk about this kid, and I want to get a little bit in-depth with him. Now, Grady Jarrett, um, you know, I'll go to Grady Jarrett on my second one. I think he's going to be cash as a pass rusher. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Montel's, like, probably just over there just going crazy. Uh, this is what I like from him. Uh, I like that when he's at the senior bowl, he showed the necessary jump that you need because when you do watch his tape, uh, when they used him, 
with him being a little bit of a bigger body, you know, 6'1", 304, he was kind of basically their penetrator. Uh, he, he wasn't the guy asked to do some looping or anything like that. Uh, he was basically going to be the penetrator, and then they were going to have the three-technique loop around him. At the, you know, at the senior bowl, he, he played a little bit of bowl. Uh, he pass rushed out of the three, and he pass rushed out of the one. Was actually pretty damn good as a pass rusher. I think the only time he got stoned was against Lakin Tomlinson, uh, which is a guard that everybody's starting to fall in love with as well. Um, he has awesome, awesome mechanics uh, as a pass rusher. He knows how to put more than one move he's the, together. He's the, he's the anti-George Phillips with the technique. Yes, yes, very technique. And that's the one thing that you you see it a lot with smaller defensive linemen. Uh, yeah. Our technique, and, and I'll say like us, because I I was a smaller defensive lineman. I mean, hell, I wasn't even six feet. I, I wasn't even six one. Uh, our technique has to be solid because we already have the disadvantage, you know, so to speak, you know, put that in quotations, uh, of being small. So we don't have necessarily that that height that we do like with a Leonard Williams, to where we can get low and then jack them up. Uh, we actually have to, to work from the way up. So, okay, like but Josh, I mean, okay, look, I, I get it, but if you look at some of his traits, right? I mean, he's he's not he's not gonna he's a little too small to maybe swap passes down at the line of scrimmage. Um, he he's got quickness that can beat you off the snap, but when he runs into someone like that's big and knows they're big, I mean, how how does he get by them at the next level? And that's well, where his, that's where his technique is really uh, from. This he knows how to use his hands, man. He's got he may have the best hand usage of all the guys. <laughs> in his best and that's and that's why I love this guy. Um, I I have him going anywhere between the mid to late second round at the earliest, third round being the latest. I think this guy's going to be a steal as a pass rusher. When I watch him, it's a guy that I spoke about when I was on last time, uh, Aaron Donald. Similar size in terms of being built kind of the same way. Of course, Aaron Donald was way more explosive. But in terms of how they pass rush, they're fairly similar. Uh, The one thing I like about Jarrett is that he's like a crazed man. He's like a lunatic when he pass rushes. Uh, A little bit of John Randall in him. A little bit. A little bit. His hands are never stopping. His hands never stop. The moment an offensive lineman reaches for his hands, He's either hitting it with a swat over the top and then immediately coming into a rip, or he's swimming up into a chop, which is a cross, and then he's you know swimming over the top. He has really good hand usage. He needs to. The only thing that I would want him to work on, if I'm going to use him as a as a pass rusher early, is to be a guy who can flip his hips a little bit more. Uh, he does show that he's a little stiff uh, when he hits that that club rip or that club swim. Uh, he's basically stepping through with square shoulders. Uh, I want I want to see him turn a little bit more, but I, I think this dude could be money as a pass rusher. Um, strictly just based on his experience being the penetrator and his ability to show that he can be a looper with how well his feet and his hands work. Uh, I think this kid could be the, the second round pick or third round pick version. Of Aaron Donald as a pass rusher is that we saw. Oh man! Oh god! He's Aaron. Do- oh god! Oh. <laughs> I mean, I like him, but to me, he's just more of a—he's more of a more of a a botherer than a 
production guy. Exactly. To me against the pack. exactly. Yes, Montel. Absolutely. He's a penetrator, but the babies aren't being made. That's how I I love that metaphor. Love the metaphor. Well, as I'll say, happy dope. We're going to cover the last of those three, and then I'm going to bring Mr. Morton down, who has joined us as well. I haven't got a catchy tag thing to do for you yet, Steve, so I'll have to think about, about that when we talk. But, um, <laughs> but please continue, Josh, and we'll let the colorful metaphors flow again in a moment, but go ahead, John. Well, uh, well, well, first I got to say, we could probably end the show now because I don't think we're going to get another great metaphor like that. Uh, I, that was awesome. Uh, that's yeah, yeah I, was, I was about to go B versus Mosquito, but, you know, James just kind of, you know, he hit it right off the park. I like that. <laughs> that, was, that was a good one. Uh, <laughs> it fits him well. Michael Bennett, uh, I don't know about this guy. Uh, mm-hmm. The first thing I got to say is what happened. Uh, I mean, during the beginning, you know, when the early part of the season was going on, this was a guy who everybody was talking about who was going to be fighting, quote unquote, Leonard Williams, right, for the, being the best tackle in this class. And now, yep. now he's fighting just to be into the top five, in my opinion. Uh, it's a guy who he does some things well. Uh, he's very good feet. He has good hand-eye coordination. Uh, the one thing I do like is that he is a read-and-react type defensive lineman. You know, I talked about earlier about how guys in this class kind of struggle and they're more, you know, trying to anticipate blocks. This guy is literally just balls to the wall and gets off and then he, he plays whatever it's doing for him. He has good hand usage. I like the fact that he wins and then he, he rips off. Uh, he doesn't try to rip off and then win. Uh, he, he knows kind of basically the ins and outs. Uh, has a good motor. But the one thing that I don't like is that he's not very strong. Like, you watch him on tape. Mm-hmm. I thought he was better as a junior, you know, uh, than he was this year. Um, I mean, he's it's almost a completely different player. He has great, you know, he's a great athlete uh, from what you can watch. Uh, with great, you know, with great, uh, excuse me, great quickness. But he doesn't really, you know, like I talked about sitting and thinking, he doesn't split double teams very well. He's not very consistent. Uh, his effort is kind of that similar to Golden, where if it's, you know, if he's on the backside, he's going to kind of lollygag. Uh, doesn't really have a true pass rush presence. Uh, he kind of just basically tries to, to use his leverage fully and then either try to rip or swim off. But he doesn't have a quick swim. It's, it's an elongated swim like he's in a pool, and by that time he's giving his chest up, and that's why uh, we didn't see as much production from him. I, I think if you get this kid, you know, in the second or third round, uh, he will be cash. If you get him in the first round, you better make sure you have some insurance with that because uh, – you're not going to be getting the player that you think you are. Perfect. So, we have a very special guest with us. How are we doing, Mr. Steve Morton? I'm doing well tonight. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're talking football. How does it get better? (laughs) Yeah, I I was... uh... Just finishing up supper, watching the basketball games over my shoulder. 
looks like Louisville and looks like Gonzaga already uh, uh, advanced. So, well, good, good. I needed Gonzaga to advance. I had some, <laughs> had some things go wrong for me, so I'm glad to hear that. Um, we're talking the ever popular game sensation that's sweeping the nation, cash or trash, and we're doing it with the defensive tackle class. And since people seem to have reached sort of a consensus with the top three, I'm dealing with guys more who are like four through nine. It's okay. To most people, that's the base, I guess. So the last three we just dealt with, in fact, I'll, I'll go through who we've been dealing with so far. Uh, we opened with a discussion that included uh, guys like Jordan Phillips. Uh, we talked about Ed Goldman. Uh, we covered... Uh, oh, come on, don't think. Uh, Phillips Goldman. Uh, and then we... Jared, and then... Uh, Thank you, Grady Jared. Carl Davis. Carl, Carl Davis. Davis, there we go. Yeah. And uh, we were just discussing, obviously, Bobby Richardson and uh, Michael Bennett. And uh, so, let's go mm-hmm. some of those guys. Um, so let's, let's start, uh, since you are coming into this, you know, obviously, brief recap. Uh Scott Zimmer, of course, is sort of our, our local expert when it comes to uh, the position, obviously having played defensive line, including in the interior. He was sort of breaking down things he liked and didn't like about each one of those guys. So uh, I'll let you talk about which of those guys stand out to you. Like you would like which ones really pique your your attention, you pique your 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 curiosity, Steve. The guy the guy that I really, really like is Jared. He's my He's my guy. He's my crush. Uh, there we go. I, uh, I uh, just uh, I looked at Beasley a lot because uh, when I was looking at the when I look at the draft, a lot of times it's about who who the Titans, you know, who would they be looking at, you know, would kind of what would the Titans, uh, you know, what would they need? And at the time, it looked like that edge rusher was going to be just the huge need when Cameron Wendley and uh, McAvoy were actually. Uh, the first team edge rushers before free agency. And so I looked a lot at Beasley, of course. And so as I looked at Clemson, you just – a lot of – I mean, Beasley's a really good player, so this is no knock on him. Uh, he, Jarrett, just, he just – everything, you know, all the time, you know, beating his guy, getting across, disrupting plays, uh, doesn't have a you – know, I, I would agree, doesn't have a whole lot of what you would call – Sacks and you not not the way Donald did uh, like last year when I thought Donald might have been the best pass rusher in the draft uh, any position uh, at any position right. pass rusher. Uh, Jarrett was more of a guy who got across that metaphor though. I just I don't know how to call it. <laughs> uh, just uh, so Jarrett was he just and every time I looked at him he was you know, ripping through beating the guys beating the guard in front of him. And, uh, you know, I just, in my own mind, and it's probably often probably not going to happen, I thought three, four nose tackle like Jay Ratliff for a guy like Wade Phillips is a guy that you could put him over over the center and have to give that center fit, trying to, you know, contain him right off the snap is whether, you know, where I'd love to see him play. Uh, 
of course, I got to see Jordan Phillips when he played Tennessee, and against the, against Tennessee, that line made that whole Oklahoma line look like a bunch of Hall of Famers. But uh, Phillips really didn't play that well against you know lines that you know weren't starting true freshmen out there, you know, right in front of him, and he just he I mean he killed you know, Tennessee. Just they just stayed down against Oklahoma. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised Worley actually survived that. Uh, Goldman, I actually like a lot. Uh, I like his functional strength. I don't know that he brings it every down, but I like his functional strength, his ability to affect the run game, uh, to you know mm-hmm. hold the guy in front mm-hmm. of him. So I don't know that he actually did that every single down while he was at Florida State. And so that that was that would be the question there. Uh, Davis, guy's a great athlete, and uh, I mean. It, I watched, I think, one game of Iowa, so it's just off of one game, but I don't know that he even made a play in that game. So that that's the thing with me. That's the problem that I would have. And uh, Bennett I saw three times, and it was, you know, up and down. I mean, he's you, you definitely see him win and get across, and then you see the other times where he's just getting pushed back. And so it, it's, just, like I said, a mixed bag. All of those guys... I mean, it depends on where you're getting them. I mean, I mean, if you're getting, I mean, I could go all the way to early second on Jarrett. I, I love him that much. But uh, Phillips, I mean, if you're if you're getting Phillips in the first round, that's not a bet I would make. Uh, that's a that's a high bust potential. If you got Goldman in the first round, he's probably going to be a solid player. Um, and this is probably not a guy that's going to be a bust for you. He's probably not going to be a superstar that you would like to get in the first round. But, you know, he could at least be a solid player. And Davis is a guy that's uh, – that's a guy he's going to be either – he's either going to – it's going to just lie on for him and he's going to rip through. But how many guys have actually not had great tape, been great athletes, and then were great NFL players? I mean – It's a short list. It's happened a few times, but it's just, you want to bet your, you want to bet where you're, you know, where you're going to live next year on it, probably. I mean, you know, there's just it. I mean, and but you can swap that around. There's not a lot of guys that are productive who aren't great athletes who are great NFL players. I mean, it, it's really, you, you know, it's the thing where, I mean, NFL player, great NFL player or good NFL player, that's the, that's the far end of the curve. That's the two or three standard deviations beyond the main guy. So, I mean, he's probably a guy that's, you know, both productive and good, you know, in, at college, the college level, and he's a good athlete as well because he's going to be playing against good athletes. So, that, I mean, that's the thing is when you get into and you say, well, this guy wasn't that productive, and you go, well, I mean, do we know when he was productive in the NFL? Uh, the one place that where it seems that guys maybe do get more productive is edge rusher. So that's uh, one place where it does seem that maybe a guy who is a good athlete in the NFL, they seem to be able to get edge rusher right. So. Okay. Okay, good. I'm going to do this. We'll do this with, with one more set of three uh, D tackles. Oh, actually, hold on. Can we get back to Jim? Sorry, Jim. I just realized I was not really young. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, right. So with that, 
Jim, with that last set of three. Uh, right. Doing, uh, right. Okay. Bear, Bennett, Jarrett, and um, uh, Richardson. And yeah. Richardson. Bobby Richardson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll start with Richardson because um, I like to, you know, end with a good closer. Uh, but Richardson, uh, tape-wise, I mean, you see a really good um, penetrator. This is kind of what you see. Uh, just a guy, you know, can shoot gaps uh, well. Um, a little undersized for the, you know, for a decent interior line. And it's about 283. You want him to be more in the 300, you know, range. Uh, but he, he's just a little thin. He looks that way on tape. Uh, in terms of his production, it's not really that great. I mean, it was okay. Uh, he uh, he hit the sack percentile, which kind of shows up on tape. You see him making a, a lot of sacks if you watch his tape uh, in terms of shooting the gap and getting the quarterback. But in terms of, you know, tackle for loss, you know, getting the running back in the backfield, he doesn't do that as much as you like. In terms of the solo tackles, he's not really the best, that sort of stuff. But where Richardson really hurts himself is just as an athlete. Uh, he was bottom 48 percentile in terms of lower body strength. He was bottom 14 percentile in terms of speed. And he was bottom 44 in terms of dynamic speed, in terms of assessing at the combine. Um, there have not been, you know, there haven't been starters with that type of thing uh, in the last, uh, since. Warren Sapp, you know, that's a nice thing. So I worry about that uh, with the fact that he didn't really hit those sort of production, you know, standpoints. Um, Tape-wise, I mean, I like his tape. I think that in terms of what you're getting with him, you're getting a rotational interior pass rusher. Uh, and I think if you view him as that, you're not going to lose money. Uh, you know, if you get him in, you know, day three, probably late day three, uh, to be that kind of rotational three-tech, I think that's fine. I think that's what his role is. Uh, if you think he's going to be something better than that, uh, you know, I, I would say not as much. Uh, with Bennett, Michael Bennett. Now, Michael Bennett's another guy. Talked about in the first round to get in the season, watched his tape, didn't get it that much, 100%. Um, another guy is a little undersized, you know, not really that undersized, but, you know, 6'2", 297, which is a little shorter. Uh, it's obviously not six one, but it's a little shorter for a defensive tackle prospect. He, in terms of his production, which was weird, you know, he he was sort of moderately productive as a sack guy and as a tackle for loss guy, but didn't hit any of the thresholds that I use in terms of, you know, the the elite tier, just the tier of really really dominant um, uh, players. He didn't hit any of those tiers, but he had decent decent amount of. Uh, of sacks and tackle for loss in terms of market share and stuff like that. Um, Athleticism-wise, he didn't do any agility drills at the combine. He didn't do it at the pro day, which makes me kind of salty. I don't like it when people do that because then I have to, like, you know, yeah. question people for information, <laughs> you know, um, just because I, I really want to know hmm. short shuttle, you know, three-tone type stuff. He didn't, he didn't do any of that stuff. But what he did do is, he, you know, he did his explosive lower body strength scores which was – he was literally the most explosive six foot three or less defensive tackle since 1996. He was that powerful in terms of his explosive uh, lower body strength, uh, which kind of shows up on tape is that I don't think he's necessarily uh, very quick as much as explosive. So in terms of just his get-off, I guess, as everybody likes to say, uh, very good in terms of that stuff. And that shows up on tape. 
Uh, in terms of his speed, he had above average speed for his size. It wasn't great, but it was above average. Uh, and I think when you look at him, I think you're going to get a – I mean, a three-tech makes sense if you want a penetrating sort of guy. And at his size, he's that. The problem was most of what he did at Ohio State was, you know, playing that one-tech sort of nose tackle, you know, you know, taking multiple blocker type guy. I do agree that he didn't look that powerful, but then again, I would say he's doing the best he can as a 297-pound man <laughs> to hold back two uh, guys that say, you know, uh, to hold back two offensive linemen. So right. he's just that type of guy where he was used strangely for his body type. Um, sure. He had Agreed. interesting production that didn't really hit. I mean, he's close. That's the thing. He's close to that. I didn't hit the solo tackle stuff, but I'm not going to worry about it right now because I'm looking at him more as a, again, another guy like a, like a pass rusher. I think that he can be – I think, honestly, I've real, I'm warmed up a little bit to him. I mean, I've seen a lot of tape of him. I think in terms of the context of a three-tech that you, you use to rush the passer and stuff like that, I think he'll do well in that role. Is he going to be, like, one of the greatest three-techs of all time and, and like, live up to the hype he had going into the season? No. But I think if you look at it in the context of a guy that he wrote, you know, you rotate, like, again, a rotational pass rusher, and then eventually you could probably end up a starting, you know, penetrating uh, three-tech, you'll get good value out of that. But if you think this is a first-round pick, if you think that this is a second-round pick, uh, I have um, issues with that assessment just based on pace and based on uh, his just profile in general. <clears throat> with Grady Jarrett. Now, this is funny because it's three against two right now. Montel's still here, right? Uh, Montel, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Is, I'm here. He's good. He's back. All right, all right, all right. All right. I, I got my army here. Right? I got my soldier. Okay. Um, <laughs> the only guy that got crazy because everybody else really like Grady Jarrett. Now, <clears throat> on tape, I do like Grady Jarrett on tape. I like his technique. Mm-hmm. I like his hand usage. I like uh, his penetration, if you could say mm-hmm. that. I like all that stuff about it. But just like I said, uh, and maybe I'll use a different metaphor here. He's like a farmer. No, 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 no. You need to trademark the previous <laughs> metaphor. Not use a different one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a penetrator, but the babies aren't being made. That's literally what it is. People That's brought up Eric Donald. Yeah. People and brought I up Eric Donald. And yeah, this, is a thing. this is a thing, Montel. You, yeah. you, don't, you don't even have to say anything, Montel. Aaron Donald was 36 <laughs> in solo tackle, second in sack, second in sack, and second in tackles for loss in terms of his market share. That is ridiculous, man. When you're talking about over 700 plus. Didn't he run something like a four six and two and nine? And he was really four six yes. eight. I think he clocked a four six eight. Something ridiculous like that. athlete, just woo type guy. Yep. This is Grady Jarrett. All right, he was 192nd in solo tackle, 546 in sack, and 397 in tackles for loss. Um, he's. <laughs> That's why when people say that he's this, you know, great pass rusher or he's a really great penetrator, uh, tape, yes, you could say that. In terms of finishing the deal, making the baby, being the Wilt Chamberlain of mm-hmm. 
defensive tackle. That is not what he is. But does he have really good athleticism? Yes. He has above average athleticism for his size. Uh, he has, he's at the right age. He's a little younger, actually, than the most defensive tackle. Um, he's. Oh, shoot. Somebody dying? Oh, no, no. Someone is being attacked by Oh, right. Oh, yes, okay. my girls need out. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. But, uh, all right, all right. But, but just in terms of, you know, everything else, again, the pauses are he's, he's a pretty decent athlete, uh, obviously not that big for his size, didn't produce like a Geno Atkins, didn't produce like an Aaron Donald, obviously. Um, no. Or even a Michael Bennett. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But is he going to have a role in the NFL? Yes. Is he somebody that I would take in the second round? Eh, no, no, not really. Is he somebody I would take in the third round in this draft class in terms of his athleticism, in terms of his age, in terms of the belief on tape, not the, you know, not the, um, not the optimism, not the facts, but the belief that in the NFL he's going to make more babies. I would say that's very much possible. And that's why I kind of view him as a third round you know, three-tech type player. But at the same time, I can't just sit here and say that he's a really good pass rusher when the sacks and the tackles for loss aren't being made um, at a very significant degree. So, I don't know. That's all I can really say about Grady Jarrett. I think, again, I think he's a really good player uh, in terms of technique and everything else like that. But me and Montel, I think we would agree, there is a bit of the size kind of does matter in his case, a little bit. And you guys can disagree with that's fine, but there are other guys at his size that were able to do ridiculous amounts of stuff that he didn't get, that he didn't do. Um, and I think that when he, when he makes the jump to the NFL, uh, you're not going to be as, like in terms of third round, you're you're breaking even, I guess is the best way to put it. If you get him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll take that. Yeah. Thank you, James. Thank you so much. Just just thank you, James. <laughs> I, I have nothing else to say. Yeah. Well, you you I don't know if I was actually keeping score, but if I were, James, you'd be winning. I think at this point, at least because of your amazing metaphor, if nothing else. Um. <laughs> okay, so moving, moving on down the line. Um, a few other guys I wanted to make sure we got a chance to mention. In this uh, in this class, there's a few other guys who are probably more like day three-ish, but guys that interest me. One of them is Mr. Darius Kildo. Um, the other is Derek Lott from Tennessee Chattanooga. And last but certainly not least, Xavier Williams from Northern Illinois. I'll stick with James for a minute. Then we'll whip it around the room. So, once again, the same thing. Uh, These are day three guys, but tell me if they are, in your mind, your way of of looking at these things. Might one of these guys have a chance to be cash, or are they all trash based on if these are guys that go, say, around the fifth round, somewhere in that range? Where do you see them? What What do you think of them in that area? <clears throat> well, in terms of uh, 
Uh, who, who were the four guys? It was Xavier uh, Williams. Right. Derek Lott. Don't you have to then Darius Kilgore. Right, right, right. Uh, Derek Lott. And then um, Darius Kilgore, right? Okay. Kilgo, uh, right, right. So Kilgo, Lott, and uh, Williams, yeah. Okay, well, when it comes to uh, – I'll start with Lott. Um, he's a really good athlete for his size. Um. He's older, though. I mean, he's pretty old, man. He's about 24, I believe. Um, he's a little older. But uh, a lot of times that happens from the smaller school for areas. But I think in terms of his athleticism and everything else, uh, in terms of his take, uh, he, he was really good uh, in ter- just in terms of the penetrator. And that kind of – he was a tag team kind of guy with David Cole uh, in a lot of ways from the tape I saw. And I think in terms of his best fit, um, I think in terms of, you know, uh, a three-tag definitely would be sort of the area you would like him in. I think he could technically play five-tech. I know I might be crazy thinking that, um, but I think that he has, in terms of a penetrating five-tech, kind of a pass-rushing five-tech, I think he could play that role. Um, but I think overall, uh, I think despite the fact that he's a, he's really old, uh, I think that he could he, he'll end up being a decent uh, at least a decent value in day day three. Um, when it comes to uh, the Northern Iowa defense tackle, I don't have any testing stuff on him yet. I don't know if that's available yet. I, I've actually been looking to see uh, what that's uh, like so far. But um, he's, you know, from a small school level, he was kind of not as productive as you kind of want him to be. Um but he, he is someone that, based on the tape I saw, I think he has the size and everything else like that. I think he might not test as, as gifted athletically as many, you know, might think he will. And that's the number one thing that a lot of people worry about when it comes to smaller school guys. I don't really care as much about that as much as, you know, did they have the prerequisites, you know, athleticism and do, did they produce a lot. When it comes to him, I think in terms of a late day three guy, I think he'll, he'll fit well in terms of that. Uh, and in terms of uh, the last guy, which is you know, Darius Kilgoy, who I know Bill is a big fan of. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> he was telling everybody at the beginning of the season, uh, hey, hey, James. For, uh, keep an eye out for you. Yeah, keep an eye out for Darius Kilgoy. He's going to be <laughs> he's gonna be a beast, man. He's going to be really good. I'm telling you. Um, not to make fun, you know, because that's what we do. Um He's another guy where the production is not really there, 100%. Um, he didn't really hit the solo tackle threshold. He didn't hit the, uh, the the sack threshold or the tackle for loss threshold. I was more impressed with Andre Monroe, you know, at Maryland than Kilgoyne yep. this year. I think that's the big issue, man. If you, like, took out Andre Monroe's knees before the season started, maybe Kilgoyne would have been talked about more. But um, – not to say you would do that, but I'm just, you know, that, that's kind of itchy. But uh, Kilgoy is... Sheriff wish, Sheriff wish you would have taken out uh, Monroe's name. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Andre Monroe turned Sheriff into a guard overnight. That's what happened. Um, yes, he did. You know, after that game, people were like, he's not a tackle anymore. He's a guard. But, um, uh, especially after surgery. But anyway, uh, which is kind of crazy to consider how he tested that. But the main point is this. Um, Kilgoy is a solid player. Um, he's obviously a three-tech, just from what I saw. Um, but 
I think you're looking at more of a long-term backup than you are a starter when you look at a guy like Kilgoy. Um, that's just from what I've seen on tape. That's just from what he did productively. And I don't know athleticism stuff yet. I do know Maryland had their pro day recently, but all I've been able to get was uh, was uh, the wide receiver of Deion Long and a couple other guys. So uh, I'll I'll uh, it takes a while for the stuff to get out, man, <laughs> for with all these guys. But I'll eventually I'll get that. I'll be able to see where exactly is the athlete. But regardless of the athleticism, I would still lean towards you know a day three guy, which he already said is day three guy, but more so of like a six or seventh round day three. Okay. Okay. So same question uh, for you, Mr. Montel Hardy. Um, how do you feel looking at these guys in terms of cash or trash? The three we just mentioned. Uh, I heard Davis Toll. It was a Davis Toll's one. They're well, Derek Lott. Was, sorry, Derek Lott. No, he, he was saying right. He was saying that Lott and Toll were kind of a tag team. I think is how he described them. But yeah, we were okay. talking about. We were talking about. Um, Kilgo, Darius Kilgo, Maryland. We're talking about Derek Watt and also Xavier Williams. Okay, okay. Well, um, okay, if I were to start with Lott, um, James covered a lot, but I just, to go back over and just highlight some of his points, Lott plays with very good leverage. Um, I like the way he comes off the ball and he's not, you know, standing straight up, but he's driving into the offensive line, and that's good. And it's not as easy to do as you think, because I think he's like 6'4", maybe 6'4", and some change, I don't know. But if you're in that neighborhood, that's not always as easy to do. Um, he anchors against double teams as well. Uh, I also like the fact that he's strong enough to kind of stack and shed blockers. Bill, you know that's what I like to see on all players on the defensive side of the ball. So it's good to see guys that can do that type of thing. Um, and another thing is that he seems to play um, – he's not just reading and reacting, but he's also anticipating. And that's what some of his tape says, that sometimes he's waiting, you know, if he sees read option, well, he wants to know who keeps it before he just runs into the backfield to do nothing, you know. So uh, – and he finds a way of just kind of like timing up him getting through the line or pushing these blocks so he can make a play once – you know, there's there's a play for him to make, you know. So um, I think he plays with maybe a, a higher ball awareness than some tackles in his class. Uh, you know, downside, you know, he's he's an older guy. Uh, he's, whew, I think he'll be 26. No, 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 25. I, th- I think I read somewhere he's either 25 now or he's going to be 25. I'm not sure, but he's got a, he's got a June birthday. So, um, I think that's something maybe some people might not know about him. Uh, what else? A little bit of an injury history, um, durability concerns. I mean, you know what happens in the trenches. Uh, I really hope he's going to be okay. He looked uh, pretty decent from uh, from his tape, and then I uh, heard some of the people that kind of uh, watch him during workouts, and that's how I think that he looked to be okay. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I like him, and I think, the tag team comparison was very good. Uh, you said the next guy was. Uh, we I'm also were covering. So it was Kilgo, Lot, and Tavi Williams. Okay. Um, Kilgo, Yeah, okay. Well, I didn't see very much of either of the next two guys. And I think that's really towards, you know, the bottom in terms of finding those guys. But. Uh, you know, I'll co-sign what James does, and if I can, I'll, I'll raise you one guy that I think is a, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people don't find him to be the best product, but I, I kind of like Latarius Walton 
just a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think it'll be, uh, well, really late day two, maybe, possibly day three. I mean, I see him as a fourth rounder, maybe fifth, probably fifth. It depends on, you know, how the tackles fall off the board. But if you get him late round four, I'm not I'm not really mad. Uh, for a guy that's, uh, I mean, first off, he's an impressive physical, you know, just he's got impressive physical stature. The guy's 6'5", I think, 6'5"-ish, 319. Um, I think he's someone that you can maybe utilize in a different role. Um, played a lot of kind of like one slash shade at the Central Michigan. I think, I don't know how quick he is, but I feel like if you put him in a five-tech-like role, Maybe you got something, you know, maybe a rotational-ish guy, developmental guy that can get there and be great. Um, I think he's, he's he's a talented player. And I kind of like the fact that, A, he's got good bursts on the ball for someone his size. He's got some quickness. And another thing is that he's he's got some flexibility, too. I mean, he's not as stiff as most 6'5", 320, 30-pound guys would be. Um, he can, you know, he can move himself laterally, which is nice. Uh, he's one of the more rangy defensive tackles there. So I, I like some of the things that he can do, and I like his skill set. So I'll, I'll just raise you that guy and uh, and get on out your way. But, yeah, I, I like Materius Walton. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And last but not least, uh, wait. Oh, I guess that was – so you, you just substituted the last guy. Got it, got it. Okay. Um well then, I'll I'll just move it around the move it around the road. Uh, so, Steve, yes, looking sir. at those three, looking at those three uh, that last we just covered, so Darius Kilgo, Derek Lott, and also Mr. Xavier Williams. Uh, who amongst well, who, you know, looking at the possibilities, these are guys most likely in the you know fifth round or around that area. Uh, talk about those guys in terms of how you see them in terms of their chances to be uh, cash or trash. And obviously, you know, the risk is much lower at this point, but what do you think of those guys? Well, I mean, I, I have to be honest, the two other guys I haven't even watched, so I don't want to give too much of any, you know, uh, okay. you know talk about them. Uh, I no have problem. watched a lot. Uh, I did that on James's recommendation. Uh, basically, maybe, you because, know, you look at lost athletic scores, he's not that far off. He's basically the same kind of athlete, maybe a little bit less, maybe the same, and the Leonard Williams. So I looked at the – and you see that athletic ability, the ability you know, stay low and bend and get through, you know, get off. And uh, you see that on tape. And he is an older guy. I mean, he's, his birthday was 1990. I think it came up earlier. Uh, so he'll be 25 in June. So uh, – he ah, is so, so he is 25. He is 25 right. then? He, okay, he will be 25 now. Okay. Yeah, he, okay. he is a one-contract guy, as they say in the in the business. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you know, but he, he, he he's a really good player. I mean, he's, like I said, he's got that athletic ability. Uh, I, I kidded around. I said, how did you, how did you teach Chattanooga ever manage to lose uh, at that level? Because, uh, the couple of games I watched, those two guys were just, I mean, they just destroyed. They were in the other team's backfield, and they gave Tennessee fit. Yep. Uh, yep. So, I mean, uh, 
Lott got a sack in the Tennessee game. Of course, Tennessee's line made a lot of guys look really good, so that may be that too. But those guys, and Lott, Lott himself, uh, he was recruited by Georgia out of high school. I mean, he, yep. he was an SEC athlete and didn't work out at Georgia, and he transferred. So, I mean, he's a, he's a guy who's, and, and in my opinion, there will be worse players than Derek Lott taken before him. I mean, there will be guys that aren't as good as him that will be taken before him. Uh, like, I would say like definitely he's, he's cash. Okay. <laughs> Where he's going to be taken. Got it. Got it. Okay, perfect. Um, so I'm going to transition from what we just discussed to sort of the round-the-world omnibus pro-day road trip, whatever. Uh, I have, you know, spies strategically placed at a few schools and not just gather other stuff from second or third hand or whatever. But there's been some interesting results pro day wise, at least in my mind, interesting. I mean I guess we can discuss whether it's or not. But I think that sometimes it's a confirmation. You think a guy's a super athlete or a really good athlete he doesn't get invited to the combine, but you think, yeah, this guy's going to blow, you know, people's minds when he gets to his pro day. And then sometimes a guy that you don't think is a super athlete has a really great day at his, at his pro day. And then sometimes a guy that you think is a good athlete has a terrible pro day. And, of course, as we've often discussed, yet especially concerning because generally pro day are kind of true. Right. Usually it's, it's true that the – Usually, sort of exactly. Usually, guys' numbers are better. You know, I mean, I'm, first of all, if you hear someone's forty time in four one anything, I mean, you know, Joey Galloway and Deion Sanders supposed if you, a short list of people supposedly have run in the four one, but they was all hand time and or lie. Um, so. I, I'm going. Yeah, lie. I was about to say. I just feel bad for the poor guy with the slower hand that timed a four four. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it ranges, doesn't it? I mean, wow. You know, yeah. It, yeah. it's it's we're talking about a couple tenths of a second here. That's almost as much as uh, a baseball player has to swing a bat. Think about that. So, I mean, right. it's so much margin for error there. Yeah, on a 90 mile an hour fastball, you have 0.15 seconds to decide if you're going to swing or not. Yep. Basically. Yep. So, yep. so the pro day times are um, kind of their own kind of cash or trash. But uh, we could do a whole show on that too. Again. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be co-writing an article with your friend and mine, Mr. Brandon Howard, aka Dash Diallo, about the facts and fictions of the 40 yard dash pretty soon. So I'm open for business for co-writing people. Um, Kurt, Pope Joy out there, you know, and I are working on an article have been for, seems like forever, but that should be done soon as well. But the fact is that... At least release it before the Hall of Fame, you know. Have that as a date. I'm almost done with my part. So, you know, I got a lot of fire. I know, you wrote a book, man. You need like a, almost like a book, you know, of the top I'm just wondering what Kurt's going to do. Bill is passionate about this subject. I try. I try to be thorough. Try to be thorough. So, moving on. The um, the fact is that pro days, because they fewer of them are televised. The big ones, LSU, Florida State. I mean, some of the big ones are televised. Oregon, um, but they're not televised well. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but I just want to see the guys test. They seem to even some of them are televised, but 
prices a little tight. I'm sure I guess the guys lifting and jumping and running and lots of discussions of whatever. Um, hey, people who make decisions about how to televise pro days, let's see guys lifting weights and running and jumping because that's kind of what people go to a pro day for. Uh, but moving moving forward, uh, pro day numbers, like I said, are always what they say. They're filled with truthiness. But I've learned enough about certain pro day places that I can convert to some extent what I get from a pro day to what I would have gotten from the conference. Oh, Florida, I'm going to add 1,200 of a second. Oh, uh, Virginia Tech, I'm going to add 1,400 of a second. Oh, you know, so after a while, you sort of figure out, you know, which schools put out a. Miami, I guess they did it at 30. <laughs> There's some, yeah, I mean, there's some Syracuse for a long time uh, was known also as those places notoriously suspicious pro day numbers. But the point is that it still provides some help to you as an evaluator. Guys that didn't get invited to the combine, at least you get some idea of how they test athletically. Uh, sometimes a guy who was nicked up to the combine or whatever, you know, it gives you a chance to sort of figure some things out. So I'm going to start with Jim, who's kind of our numbers guy. We talked earlier about how the pro day is obviously true-ish. I mean, we've used sort of various ways to describe the things about it. But what do you do with pro day numbers? How do you what, how do you treat them? What, what, are they any good to you at all? I guess. Oh, they're they're very valuable because a lot of times they're the only numbers we have. So, um, I mean, you you identify them as pro day numbers. I mean, what I usually do is I'll I'll uh, do a different color for the numbers, uh, on, at least in my spreadsheets. I'll put, I'll usually have them as, at least what I do, I put them as red, uh, instead of black, essentially, in, ter- in terms of uh, how I put them in the spreadsheet. But uh, I think that Pro Day numbers, it, it, the only issues deal with the event where the methodology is different. Where things affect where things affect the methodology because you know stuff like the vertical is the same everywhere. You know the vertical is not going to be any different in terms of how it's taken at USC or how it's taken at the combine. You jump, you know, you hit the <laughs> hit the you hit the little plates at the top, and uh, it determines what your vertical is. That doesn't really change much wherever you go unless you wear like stiletto heels or something. Um, when it comes to uh, the broad jump, same difference. I mean, it doesn't really change much wherever you kind of do it. Now, maybe there's differences in surfaces when you do. I, I don't know, but the bottom line is, is usually the methodology is not, is, you know, not not different from color. Now, things with with timed events, 40s, for example, they're notoriously bad <laughs> pro days because of the conditions that they're usually taken in. Uh, you know, like this year we've had guys who have had 40s and in torrential rain, we've had guys who had 40s that were taken uh, inside gyms. We've had 40s that were taken on uh, track, you know, where there was faster than the combine. You know, UCLA has a very fast track. I don't know if you know this, bro. Uh, it's yes. really fast. And uh, that's why guys can literally go from – that's where Danny Shelton needs to have his pro day. He needs to go to UCLA because he'll easily do like a 5-2 or 5-3 on that track. Um it's just that, just kind of fast track. But 
Uh, you know, I kind of do the same thing you do, Bill. But again, there's some truth to at least at least this: if a guy runs his forty again when he ran it at the combine, unless I look at the unless I look at him at the combine and go, okay, he tore. Like say he, well, not tear, but you know, whatever. Like say he hurts his hamstring, right? Like you, you notice he hurts his hamstring, or you see that he had a bad start. Uh, just something where <clears throat> there was issues in terms of the timing because of human error, uh, which can happen a lot because of the lack of technique or whatever. I'll sometimes, you know, okay, all right, I'll use this other 40 times. But a lot of times when guys do their 40 at the combine, I don't like to deviate that much unless there's a legitimate reason, you know, unless there's actually a legitimate reason for, you know, why they did it. That's why, like, with David Cobb, when he eventually does his running in, uh, you know, in, in uh, April, I just, you know, I just kind of have to roll with it because I don't, I didn't see 4.8 speed on tape. And, you know, when you watch his 40 at the combat, he did actually see a full hamstring. So um, there's uh, there's stuff to that. Short shuttle three cone, um, same difference, kind of. Uh, a lot of times, if they have videotape, which is really good, you can time you can time them yourself, uh, right. and there's a lot of different uh, uh, like Fusey View. You know, I don't know if you guys have followed Fusey View uh, on Twitter. He does a lot of that stuff in terms of timing stuff on, on um, but, you know, in terms of the computer to actually get more accurate times. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, right. And he can kind of show you how to do all that stuff, and that's where I usually go to anyway. <laughs> it's like, okay, how fast do you really run, kind of thing. But um. You know, I would kind of defer to that kind of stuff to get the real time. And besides that, usually uh, the times of report, again, as I stated at the beginning of this month in, of March, don't take any time that's been given to you seriously until a month later. Because uh, typically that time that was 4-3 will turn into a 4-4 four, four, or that short show that was 6-6-5 six, six, will turn into 6-9 a little bit later once all the dust kind of settles and people actually report what's actually more accurate, uh, that, that happens a lot as well. Uh, so, uh, and then you also have to, the, the other issue with protease is, again, it just throws stuff off, man. People lose weight for their pro day. People gain weight for their pro day. You know, the best example I could come up with is, you know, Alan Robinson last year, he was at the combine, 220 pounds, drops the 207 in his pro day, and nobody caught it. I mean, every site you go to now, he's 220 pounds when he, when he had, like, ridiculous vertical and a ridiculous – it wasn't that ridiculous. But it was a better 40-yard dash uh, at his pro day when he was 13 pounds less, which I know people go, oh, well, why does that matter? Well, it's, it's a significant difference in his body mass composition. But yeah, in terms of actually trying to figure out what his speed is for his size and his power is for his size. But right. I mean, to put it in perspective, yeah. perspective yeah. if he were a wrestler or a boxer, he'd be in a different weight class. You know, I mean, that's, exactly, that's, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that stuff you really want to keep track of because guys are constantly gaining weight or losing weight, and it does change. It's like with Paul Dawson. You know, he ran a little bit faster, but he dropped five pounds to where it was. You know, if he was, if he was two thirty five and ran that fast, it would it was a significant improvement. But when you adjust it for two thirty it's not as significant of a difference, you know what I mean? Like, so uh, it's it's just little stuff like that. But the bottom line is um, pro day numbers 
are largely not going to be, at least the methodology is going to be different than the combine. That's why when you compare pro day numbers with combine numbers, you're going to have things kind of a little bit out of whack because the methodology was different. They were done at different places, different timers, and different, you know, stuff like that. Um, but as a NFL person, if I was an NFL person, you don't have the luxury. I mean, I, again, I don't have the luxury of inviting the guy to my facility and training them out and testing them there to get as best as to, to satisfy my needs. Thus, as someone who's just going off of what's available to me, I just have to use the pro day numbers. And I know that they're going to be inaccurate. And I know if somebody goes, what the heck he did at the combine, at least I have it in my notes and on my, you know, my data set that that was pro day numbers. So obviously there's a little there's truthiness to it that's a little wrong, I guess is that's how you put it. But if a guy goes to a pro day like Rashard Perriman and runs a four two five, I don't think he ran four two five, but you can't tell me that he wasn't fast at his pro day. You can't tell me that he didn't run, you know, closer to like four you can't tell me he didn't run four three or four, you know, high high four four um at his pro day when a guy is timed at four two five at a pro day. So um but yeah and and um and just another example is that it is true that if a guy has bad timing at a pro day that isn't that great. That's like with Shane Ray, you know, his three cone and short shuttle were terrible, uh awful, like throw up worthy. Um so and that was at a pro day. So you hope he's injured. You hope these things, you know, sort of thing. But uh, you, you do have to realize that when stuff is, like, is that bad, when, when stuff is bad, you kind of, you know, you don't think about it being worse, I guess. You you only are suspicious when it's really good. Um, but I don't, I don't, that's just my general thoughts about pro day. We have to have pro days to get the information that wasn't that wasn't uh, available at the combine. Um, is there going to be inaccuracies in it? Yes. Is this why certain guys don't do these drills? Absolutely. You know, that's why they do it, because they don't really want to uh, – they, they want to force the teams to go by the tape. You know, like if, if you're a guy where you know your short show or your free cone is not going to be great, don't do it at the combine. Do it at your pro day. Because – or don't, you don't even do it at all. Because if you have, if you have enough interest from a team um, – you know, promise rings, as you said, Bill. Uh, you you can kind of force them to, you know, put put things to your advantage. I guess uh, is is the only way to put. But the bottom line is, is you know, again, pro days are pro days. The times are obviously not always accurate, uh, but you just have to live with it because it's all you have available. And of course, there's going to be people who who cares about pro days, just watch the page. Uh, you know, just you know, I, he cares about these numbers, you know, that type of stuff. And, of course, there's going to be people like that. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is for people like me, I, it's the only numbers that are available. So you just have to identify what they are, you know, and then identify that they're pro day numbers and then just move on from there. Hello? Yeah, I was about to say, anybody there? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, 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 I went blank for a minute. 
don't know. Is Bill still yeah. there? Yeah, we're all still here. Okay. Yeah. I, I want a total blank for a sec. <laughs> that can happen. That can happen. Um, well, move, moving right along. Pro days. Um, I've been in a few, obviously. I've reported on a few. I've studied how they're run. In some places, they are, you know, basically just a small version of the, the actual scouting combine. They're, some of them are extremely well run. You can tell they know what they're doing, etc. There are places where it's not quite like that, where um, there's a little bit of confusion sometimes even about how they exactly run some of the drills. I mean, so it's, it's wildly different in lots of ways even beyond from indoors to outdoors, as Jim pointed out, from places where uh, you're not entirely sure about lots of things even being accurate in terms of how they run. Obviously, the scouts who want to make sure things are accurate will sometimes step in and, you know, help guys or change the way something's set up. And some, some schools, some places you go for a pro day, it's like the guys just sort of, when the NFL scouts show up, the guys sort of say, well, there's a hand over our facilities to you guys do whatever it is you do. Other places, the strength and conditioning people or football ops people will ever set everything up, and then the scouts just come in and scout, right? But things that I have noticed, obviously, as you said, there's always an increase in, in speed in almost all, not all, but to be most, many of the timed events. And we talked to talk about things like, well, hand timing versus electronic timing. Well, that's going to give you a certain difference. You've got the fact that these guys are more well-rested uh, than the guys at the Combine. If you've ever been to the Combine, even if a grind to cover it, let alone to perform, the guys are kept on the go for, you know, the couple of days that they're there because teams are constantly meeting with them, and now the media uh, distraction portion of it is greater than ever before. Uh, you throw onto that that these are people who are, I mean, their hotel is usually very close, but they're staying in a hotel, they're not sleeping in their own bed, they're not, their routine has been to some extent disrupted. And athletes are creatures of habit. Uh, once again, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but they're used to performing after having followed a certain routine for playing football. They followed their football routine, but even they had trained the combine. They felt a combine training routine that was still different from what actually happened at the combine itself. So these guys are usually nervous, sometimes tired, and there's a certain amount of tightness that some guys get. And for whatever reason, partly because it's a place where they've been playing football for the last several years, that might be part of it. They have teammates around, whatever. Guys are often much more loose, you know, much more comfortable at the combine. And yes, you do tend to see uh, better performances, but I don't think it's all just simply due to, some of it's due to the things talked about on surfaces and you know, friendly position coaches, <laughs> whatever it's up with some of the times that you hear. I think last but not least, if there are no official times at Pro Day, you can call it an official time. If not, um, there's lots of ways that sometimes the first official time is their time, the time that they time themselves. Well, there it is, the official. Uh, a lot of times the quote-unquote official times you hear are done sort of on the Olympic model where they'll toss the lowest time that somebody had all sit around and average the times, whatever, and they'll toss out or, or what you get, what you get. Then they toss out the guy who has the fastest, toss out the guy who has the slowest, and average the rest of them and say, oh, well, that's the time we're going to go with for report. But it's not official in the sense of an official timer whose time is the official one. It doesn't work that way at Pro Day. So 
that's another reason that you get some variations and interesting stuff going on all the time. So Montel, when something wildly different happens at a pro day from what happened at the combine, if this is a, you know if you do have a player who's been invited to both, what do you treat with that new data? What do you, how do you treat the new data? What do you acknowledge it? If so, how? I think you got to do it, and you got to just put it in moderation. Like, for instance, uh, when you look at uh, Perryman and, and what he was able to do, I mean, you know, you can kind of like what James said, you can time it yourself, you can look at it. Um, in my opinion, I think I saw 426, but um, if I were to call him, I'd say it's probably a mid mid to late 4-3, probably 4-3-7 is probably what I give him. I mean, obviously, I'm going to record the real number, you know, the number that came from there, but unless I do my own research, I consider it, you know, I maybe asterisk all of that and say, okay, well, um, let's look at the tape, but this is what he's capable of, you know, if he's in the right scenario. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, you put it in perspective, you look at it with moderation, and you don't you don't flip out like Twitter did when he did 4-2-6. Uh, you look at the tape, he doesn't, I mean, he, he plays pretty fast, but he doesn't play 4-2-6 fast. I mean, not from my tape. <laughs> I'm more than open to any tape, so only thing that shows me differently, but he doesn't play 4-2-6 fast. But he does play uh, very quick. Very, he does play fast enough. So, uh, like I said before, it, the tape is what I go back to, and you know when I'm faced with numbers either on the high end or the low end of my expectations, and, and that's uh, and I think that's the way you treat this here. Um, and another thing is that people need to uh, fall in love with kind of like the right numbers, right? Uh, I didn't get a lot of numbers back from his pro day, but I was far more interested in you know, what Perryman's uh, three-cone would be, what his 20-yard shuttle would be, you know. Those things matter if you're a receiver. They really do. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of like where my head's at. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, it's fun to watch. I'm sure that's when pro days are cool, but uh, it, it's nothing to freak out about to me because you know he'd be in that range. The same way when people didn't run the way we thought they would, you say, well, he's not that fast on tape, right? <laughs> so, I'm sure when you see what to what extent, there's a little bit of a wow factor, but you, you know what you've got. Okay. And Steve. Steve's still with us, Mr. Morton. Yeah, I'm still here. Excellent. I want to make sure. Um, when you collect information about players, do you, do you have a way of sort of accounting for the, the pro day phenomenon, you treat it all the same, you treat it differently, how so? What do you do with the pro day? Well, yeah, when I look at a guy's pro day, if if the guy were, if he, if he ran at the combine, I go with whatever he did put at the combine, unless I know he was hurt at the combine, just like James mm-hmm. said. Uh, okay. With pro days, I, I, I'm more of, and I know I tweeted this out with a picture of a trash can saying that the speed, that the 40 numbers of pro day are all trash. Uh, like James said, you know, if I ran a four, if there, if the thing comes out of four two five, he didn't run a four seven. I mean, you know, he ran fast. He just probably, I, I just doubt, would doubt that he ran, you know, a tenth of a second off Chris Johnson's record. I mean, just I just an electronic time record. I I doubt that happened. I mean, it's just I, I have a hefty skepticism. I, I said often that. Four day pro day numbers are brought to you by the same guys who thought Funches ran a four three. <laughs> I mean, you guys, Funches is a good player. He's a you know he's a 
I'm sure he's a great guy. He's never had a four three in his life, not at forty yards. Right. So, so I mean, uh, so I take him with a heavy skepticism. If I were ever to do to do a deep dive using the the data background uh, that I have that I actually you know in my in my real life, I would probably go into how could you come up with a with a number to based on various pro days that you could, you know, basically uh, discount or, you know, uh, correlate them back to the combine scores, that would probably be what, you know, what I would actually be interested in doing. So because, uh, you know, but the speed numbers, they're all over the board. I think on, on uh, Perry, then I saw that one uh, on Twitter, a guy took the frames per second. We first started in, with frame and then the frames per second on Vine. At its max, and he came up with four, three, eight, or something, and that would probably be the maximum that it was. Uh, so, you know, if you, the, on the maximum frame rate on a vine. So, I mean, and that sounds reasonable for what Perryman, you know, for the athlete that he is. Uh, I mean, a four, a four. I, I just have things that we don't sometimes folks don't have an appreciation for. I mean, Perryman goes what two fifteen, James, somewhere around there. Two fifteen. Oh yeah, yeah, he was, uh, right? yeah, he was about two twelve. Uh, I don't know. Um, that's the thing. Yeah, about two twelve, two fifteen. I don't know which yeah, one they prefer though. Yeah. Yeah, a guy, a guy in that area running a four two. I mean, you're, I mean, you're talking Bo Jackson level athlete. I mean, so and they're just. I mean, you'll see. You may see an athlete like that. What, we've never seen Perryman do that on tape. Yeah, we've never <laughs> seen Perryman do that on tape. Um, so he's fast on tape, a lot like Kevin White, because that was the thing is, you know, Perryman and White are very similar players in a lot of ways uh, in terms of their height and their and their stuff like that. But the basic thing I would say is just I've never seen 425 out of Perryman. I know what 425 looks like because you can just go to tape of a 425 of a four two five guy tape like Chris Johnson or even Bo Jackson at Auburn. Uh and go, oh okay, yeah, that's that's what four two five is, you know, if you look at the other guy. But um but yeah, I mean, you know, just to at your point is uh you uh <clears throat> if a guy runs so much faster than what he looks, then yeah, there's you know, trust your instinct. You know? Mm-hmm. Trust your instincts, man. You know, if a guy ran really, really fast and your instincts are telling you, eh, I don't know about that, I'd kind of go with the instincts on that. Right. Yeah, I, mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can look at even Perryman, he, he, just even the yards for Ketchman, and you know he can, he can take the top off of defense, I mean, which is really what you need to know. I mean, he's not going to – he's not Randy Moss. <laughs> no. No, he is not. <laughs> but, I mean, he can, he, can get, he can get on top of a defensive back. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not – he's not even Roddy White, for that matter. But I, I, <laughs> for me, for me, <laughs> the things I look for in a pro day, one is interaction with – there's actually some interaction with, with scouts. I mean, you get a good idea of how these guys have interacted with other athletes. 
hopefully you've seen them before now. Occasionally they'll be a mystery guy, you know. Either he was hurt or he was really more of a trap guy, but he's kind of on the football team and they didn't play him much. I mean, you'll find, you know, a guy, maybe a, a guy that you think could be a gunner or a guy that you think could be a reserve and things like that. But mostly these are guys that you just are familiar with. It's part of why you're there or why, you're, why you care. And I think the main thing I look for is, is this, one, is this information meeting with, if there's other data I've been using, is it fairly close together? Or, you know, if it's someone for whom I don't have, you know, any previous numbers, does it match with what I've seen on tape? And then the other thing I always, you know, sort of focus on, is like I said, the non the numerical stuff, uh, you look for interactions. I mean, at the Combine, I think they now, I'm assuming, it seems like they kind of sort of coach their guys to, you know, to be nice to the other guys. You know, no one trying to psych them out or head game or whatever. Which used to actually happen back in the old days. You guys got to go at each other sometimes. But uh, now, you know, it's sort of like we're going to pretend we're teammates and yet cheer for each other and all that good stuff. And so it makes it harder to figure out who the, you know, who the guys really are truly personal alarm. But the, uh, I just look for that at the pro day. So, so who, which guys do have a great relationship with their, their to be ex-coaches and, you know, are still trying to learn things from their position coaches and, you know, what guys are not just answering questions to the scouts, but asking questions to the scouts. I mean, you get a chance that there's more of that kind of stuff going on or pro day than the time, but because it's a little more informal. And I guess the other thing that I actually try to extract, uh, you know, obviously you want to look at what teams seem to be showing interest, so that obviously could be nothing or less than nothing. It could be sometimes even pretty much misinformation. But still, I try to see who's showing up at what position groupings the most. Okay, well, I'll have the third. You know, offensive guard, they, you know, had a pro day this week or whatever. They just look for patterns like that to let you know a little about what a team's thinking is or even more to the point, like I said, who they value, what kind of people they value. And if it's a thing where character might have raised how much do they know and frankly how much do they care might also ask about you know the whoever it is or whatever it is left behind. So now that's one thing I look for a pro day. I don't, I'm not I do sort of have a sort of sliding scale, you know, that I apply to certain schools, most schools really. Uh, sometimes it's just six hundredths of a second or you know, as much as that I don't really bother with it, uh, because I don't know about what I do with sort of athletically speaking, but I definitely look for, you know, wild divergences between what a guy did on tape and if he did the combine, what he did on combine, and then what he does now. If it's, as Jim pointed out, maybe the guy's lost weight, maybe the guy's gained weight, maybe the guy's aggravated or old injury, whatever it is, but I still want to know what this guy can do in that environment if you actually get closer to the draft. Everybody still there? Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, but the number so, one thing, and I'll just say this okay, much, okay. is uh, at least at least to the to the beat writers, to the to the people that collect this information, uh, at least with me, I want the numbers. Right. I don't want to know so and so look good because I don't know what to do with that, Bill. Right. <laughs> Every article. 
out there on pro days, same thing. So and so went through drills, looked good. So and so looked dominant in drills. So and so looked. I don't know what that means. Like on the scale of dominant, what is he as a as a writer of who follows the pro days? When you say a guy had a dominant pro day. Did he really have a dominant pro day or did he just have a good pro day, but you say he had a dominant pro day because you really like that player and you said I'm just trying to say is most of the articles about the pro days, it's some of them when they don't even have numbers in it. Because other people go to these pro days. It's not just, you know, Shane Ray at Missouri's Pro Day. They have other players. You know, at other positions that you may not care about, but I do. I just wish that there was a little more depth to the reporting, except for just he looked good in drills. He high-fived Mike Tomlin after he did. Hey, you know, like, I don't know what to do with that. If Mike Tomlin high-fives a guy, I don't, I don't know. You know and, I mean? even if you, and even if you could do something with it, uh, you know, I, I say this all the time, but Jamarcus Russell's pro day would, I mean, you would put him on the Hall of Fame based on his pro day. I mean, and, and Bill, and Bill's even go back further than that with that Jeff George's, and he said that the, the, it brought grown men to cry. <laughs> there are scouts so, who were at Jeff George's pro day who still talk about it in hushed tones. I'm telling you, man, he was not a great quarterback, and Frankly, kind of terrible human being, but man, could he throw a football? I'm telling you, man. I mean, it's in terms of just sheer beauty of watching the ball leave someone's hand and basically go where we wanted it to go. He he deserves to be mentioned for that part of it. In the same breath, with guys like Dan Marino and John Elway. I mean, it's <laughs> ludicrous how much talent he had for commercial football. Sadly. Other stuff that you want just wasn't there. June Jones did a good job with that pro day. Oh, his pro day was ridiculous, man. But um, uh, June June Jones said that uh, Garrett Gilbert's was almost as good. It was the second best ever besides Jeff. So <laughs> T, those, maybe it's June, June Jones' good luck. Maybe for those who don't already know this this gentleman, we have the California kid by way of Georgia. Uh, oh. We have this is Donovan James. How are you doing, Donovan? Oh, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I just kind of came in. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm okay. pretty good. I'm good. I'm glad to be back. It's been like a, I think like a couple of weeks. I've been doing some like I've been kind of I've been on Twitter. You had, you had, you had basketball Twitter. stuff. You had uh, yeah, right. You had other things going on. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still a football guy though. Don't worry. I didn't sell out back to basketball. <laughs> just you know, gotta watch my zags. You know. It's, March Madness, but uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm glad to listen to you guys talk about the, uh, the pro days. I've been keeping up with them too, for sure. So yeah. So well, first of all, what do you what do pro days mean to you? What do, what how what part do they play in your process of evaluating guys, Donovan? Um, pretty pretty important to be honest. Um, I want to start out first with with. Uh, like the interviews, if if you can find the interview, sometimes it's hard. Obviously, the bigger players, what you can find. Um, I like to see 
the man behind the, you know, behind the numbers, behind the, the arm or whatever, the legs. I like to see what he's about and see what he's talking about. The, uh, you know, just, just you don't really get to see these guys, you know, with their helmets on and stuff like that, and you don't get to see them interviewed. Um, the coaches are kind of strict in college football, so you don't see them as much. But uh, And you're not there, so that's the best way to be uh, personal, I guess, to, to act like you're there is uh, something like that. It's to watch their interviews. Um, I, I would recommend finding interviews on every guy that you really enjoy watching um, or if you're questioning about in this draft. So at their pro day, they, they all do some type of interviews. So watch those. So that's my number one thing personally for me. And then I just, yeah, I look at the numbers. I mean, some of them are skewed. Some of them are overblown. But they mean a lot. Um, I'm not really a, a metrics guy per se, but I, I, I they're important. I, I keep up with them. They're a big part of evaluation. So I do look at those numbers. If they a lot of guys, everybody can't be in the combine. Um, and, some, and like you said, the combine's tiring, man. Tom, Tom Montgomery was just talking about how he couldn't sleep because it was just he was so tired from doing yep. all these all these things. And he, it's just Ty Montgomery. I mean, imagine how it is for Marcus, Jameis, and guys like that. So yeah, you're tired at the combine. You're just getting pulled on every which way, and it's kind of the first time that's happening. Um, you know, you have assimilation for some training. You know, I know Exos does a good job at assimilation. But even then, you know, these are young adults, man. It, it's hard. This is like a huge stage. I mean, people forget about that sometimes. Like, these are 20 to 24-year-old men, you know, young guys. <laughs> you know, so it, it's tough, just like it is for any other job. Uh, this job is, ha- you know, your interviews on national television. You know, that's the only difference. <laughs> so just seeing how they handle that pressure. And the pro day, obviously, they're more relaxed. They're at home. Um, in their stadium or in their facilities or whatnot, and with their coaches, but there's still pressure. There's coaches and scouts, you know, out there. But yeah, I take the numbers. Uh, um, I look at them and I look at if they did numbers from the combine too, um, or drills, and I, I kind of like just average them out a little bit. Or if it's a guy like you know Grayson had his own little pro day there um, at Fort Collins, so you know I took his numbers and those are a little different because he did everything. Um, there, you know, he didn't do. He was injured at the combine. Um, somebody mentioned that he had on the show. I can don't know who it was, but they're talking about injuries at the combine. But uh, yeah, you can't. You know, somebody's injured at the combine. They're injured. You know, you can't really take that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's a big deal uh, percentage wise. Say like ten, eh, maybe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't really know exact number, but. Well, pro days are important. Um, they're important to me, though. But, I mean, the drills, and if you have a good connection um, with, with a beat writer that's there, um, like I had the pleasure for a couple of beat writers uh, around for these pro days. And they can give you some insight. And it's, you just have to really source yourself, you know, in our type of job <laughs> to find really what's going on at these pro days because there's a lot of numbers that are – uh, silly. questionable. They're silly, questionable yeah, numbers. Right. Some of some of it's overblown. Like like James said, it's uh, you see a lot of articles that just say, oh, he did, he had a great day. He was excellent. You know, he was pinpoint accuracy. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like, I want to see more. You know what I mean? I wish there was there was more you could see. You know, um, but that's how it is. You know, we can't <laughs> can't change that right now. But yeah, it, it's a it's a big deal. Um, I really look at um position guys more, I feel like, at pro days. Um, kind of the sexier guys, you know, at the pro days, they get the, the big 40 times, and, uh, you know, they don't really bench too much. But, you know, I mean, they do the three cone, use the shuttle, and especially with the quarterbacks that I try to look at. Um, 
how they're throwing um, the footwork, who their quarterback coach is, finding stuff like that. Because the quarterback coach is usually always there, along with their, uh, you know, co- probably their offensive coordinator is usually there too, or their quarterback coach from, from college. So I look at that as well. I look at who they're throwing to. Um, it was kind of weird for. I'll just use Grayson for instance, because I, I do have a, a buddy of mine that's from Love in Colorado that's that for day, and he had a, a small wide receiver. <laughs> he had a five six guy. Um, a solid wide receiver is just I usually don't see. He only had one receiver, and it was a five six guy. So that was kind of interesting to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I look at everything, man. All the variables. I try to find a, uh, every single little thing. I mean, I might be doing too much, maybe, but I, that's just, I'm a detailed person. So <laughs> I like to find every single thing. I want to know who's there. Are your parents there? You know, did, were they at the pro day too? You know, yep. um, <laughs> your girlfriend there? You know, is she at home? Like, try to find out everything. I usually do sometimes, but <laughs> and was it was but, that your was that your main girl? Was it your side piece? Were they both? Yeah, there? yeah, yeah. How'd you handle that pressure? You know, with your parents. Did you make it a spectacle? Did you dunk? Um, at yes. your, at your yes. pro day, like Brian Bennett. Right. Did you throw eighty-eight miles per hour fastball? Um, on your, at your pro day, you know, Gary or not Gary? Uh, Brian did some uh, some basketball and baseball stuff just to show how athletic he was. Um, at his, but yeah. He, Look at everything. I, I try to take it all into it, but not, I don't try to put too much into it. Um, some stuff is shocking. I mean, the, the Perriman thing. I mean, <laughs> guys, I lo- I like them already. I mean, that just kind of made me like it a little bit more. But I mean, if it's something like that, it's different. But if you if you don't like Perriman, you shouldn't just all of a sudden like them now just because he ran a four two six or whatever. Or 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 Gary Grayson, you know, um, he ran a four six. You know, you shouldn't move him up that high. You know, you should move him 50 spots because he ran um, faster than you thought. And, and more pass. importantly, more importantly, dunking. You should look for dunking. That's Most of my quarterback rankings are based on dunk. Brian Bennett can 360 windmill dunk. So, I mean, you shouldn't move him up. A guy like me, I already like Brian Bennett. So, it's okay. But, you know, somebody like you <laughs> probably shouldn't move him up 20 spots. Like, oh, that, that windmill dunk was great. You know, it's just you can't get too excited about it. You know, you have to be like, okay, he's athletic. He shows some skills. He tried to do some other things to show his athleticism. Um, most guys that are two-sport or three-sport guys tend to do a little bit better. Um, sometimes sometimes it doesn't work out, though, so it just depends. Actually, that rate I was looking at was two-sport guys do do better, but not at quarterbacks for some reason. <laughs> um, it's actually not – it's actually the quarterbacks that just played one sport <laughs> that do better. Um, even though quarterbacks are known for being two sport athletes, so it's kinda interesting I found that out. But uh I don't know. It's there's a lot of stuff that goes into this stuff. You find out a lot about I like to find out about the man behind the helmet. No, I really do. I love I love watching the interviews. Um I think um watching uh who was it? Uh Jordan Phillips from Oklahoma's interview. I don't know. i never seen Jordan Phillips in an interview before, so it's good to see a guy like that. <laughs> see what he's about. See what he knows about the game when they're asking him these questions, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my thing on it. I, I, I don't put too much in it, but I don't say pro days don't matter because they do. I mean, that's why, we're, that's why we have roundtable discussions about pro days. Exactly. That's why Teddy Bridgewater had to, you know, go on a whistle-stop tour of NFL teams and try to explain that he wasn't a terrible football player. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you have yeah. to know circumstances. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, Garrett Gilbert, we had him on last year. This credit got him drafted. Yep. Um, I don't. I, I'm. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, buddies with Garrett, but I do not believe he would have got drafted if his pro day wasn't. He had probably the second or third best pro day of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put it behind probably Blake's and Johnny's pro day, and they went in the first. I mean, it got it got him pushed up to. I think Garrett got drafted in the fifth round, I believe, like the late fifth or something like that, like one ninety nine. Maybe the sixth round, but I don't think he would have got drafted. His pro day wasn't so spectacular, and the guy was like he threw like eighty five passes too. I mean, it was a Jeff George type. I mean, June Jones, you know, he's the one that did it. He did Jeff George's pro day too, so it was similar, actually. Um, I don't know, Bill, if you watched Garrett's pro day. I know you watched um, Jeff George, but apparently it was structured uh, very similar. I'm so. sure it was structured similarly, and they have somewhat similar strengths, except I would still give the arm strength and accuracy not to Jeff George. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. But the good thing about the quarterback portion of of Pro Days is that you learn about the personality, maybe not of the quarterback in terms of, like, who they are, but you get to learn – what, how they perceive themselves as a quarterback. Does that make sense? It like, does make sense. Clearly, Johnny Mansell thought he was a rock star. And I mean, not that this was news to anybody, but look at his pro day. Like, if somehow you weren't utterly already aware of that information, look at his pro day. I was, the only thing that was missing, I thought at some point he might actually run out, like, with an American flag or an eagle might land on him. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it, it was, it was, that was a, a once, honestly, I could say that, that <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody's had a pro day like that. Um, it was no. great, but I mean, the stuff with it, with, with, I mean, he had president as pro day, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he had, you know, all types of stuff. He had Rick Ross playing in the back, I like the song he had, Jay-Z, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, and George did a good job, man. George is throwing it at him. George is like, if you want the stuff, I can do it. You know, and John is, yeah, he took it. That's how he is. That's his personality. But then you see a, a pro day like, you know, George put on with Sean Mannion, you know. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Uh, wasn't similar. quite the same. As, no, wasn't right. quite the same, yeah. yeah. Or the pro day is going to put on, yeah, the pro day is going to put on with Jameis. Um, George is going to do with Jameis. Or uh, George with Bryce Petty. Um, all good pro days. Uh, George yeah. gets you prepared better than anybody, um, I believe, for your pro day. Um, him, and, him and Jordan Palmer. And uh, and uh, Kevin O'Connell, um, obviously not anymore because he's with Cleveland. His last pro day was with um, Marcus Mariota, but he does a good job. I mean, George and, and, and Jordan Palmer, those guys. But yeah, but it, it, was a, it was a spectacle. But yeah, you can tell the personality, you know. And, and your quarterback, your quarterback coach is gonna play into that type of stuff. He knows what you like. He's with you all, um, all year, you know. Even somebody like Taylor Kelly, um, that was constructed by. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, you know, so you get to kind of see about the guy, about the quarterback, and you find out a lot too. Um, I find out, I found out a lot of things about few of the quarterbacks, um, and like we we're talking about with Brian Bennett, you know, he wanted to show his athleticism, um, right. so that's why he did the the dunking <laughs> and the and the baseball stuff, which was kind of it was gimmicky, I guess, but like it maybe it worked. Of. But, yeah, but I mean that's what. You got to do something. 
you got to do something to get, you know. Yeah. By the way, James, he, he, he threw a baseball 88 miles per hour, and he's never played baseball before. I don't know what that means, but that's fast. That is fast. It's very fast. No, not a lot of people throw 88. Some people don't play throw 88 in Major League Baseball. But I don't know. I don't know what that means. He did a 360 windmill dunk, so I don't know what that means either. <laughs> But he did it. <laughs> Eighty eight about Greg Maddox in his prime, so Yeah, Greg Maddox in his prime exactly. What, yeah, what, yeah. Here's, here's what it here's what it means, Donovan. When you guys show up at like charity sporting events, we have to play other sports, you want Brian Bennett on your team because he's likely to be really good at whatever it is that you guys are doing. He's a really good national athlete. But, he is, and he he did throw the ball well. He he did. He he like I told you. He uh, I think we talked about this off there. He he was fifty nine of fifty nine. He didn't hit the ground at all. He looked fast, man. I mean, I know he ran slow. Like I'm not saying his forty was that much faster, but he just like when he was on the he did a lot of stuff from the center and he was on the rollouts. He looked explosive, but he got bigger. Um, I don't know. <laughs> he got really fast. I mean. I was at a speed, and I'm like, whoa. Like, <laughs> you know, I wasn't expecting that one. But his accuracy is still a problem. I mean, he's kind of a perfect quarterback for a pretty, like we were talking about. Um, very athletic, and he gets out of the pocket really fast, and there's no defense, you know. I think he had a couple guys running at him, um, you know, with their hands up or something like that. But, you know, there's no defense. So that, he still has to work on some things. But he's got – the mechanics have gotten better for, for the past uh, – I think he's been with Jordan for three months down in San Diego. And you could definitely tell that he's been grinding out there. So that's what you want to see. You just want to see improvement because that's his biggest flaw is mechanics. Um, they looked a lot better as a pro day. So going forward, going forward with his private workout, I think he's got one. He's actually got one with Oakland. Um, oh, cool. All right. Yeah. Philadelphia. And, uh, I don't know if he has one with Philadelphia, but she were kind of surprised that Chip wasn't there, but, I mean, I wasn't. Um, well, I mean, has Ben it, had it, major knee surgeries recently, uh, Brian Bennett? Yeah, has he had any major, like, uh, No. Oh, injuries? no, no, he hasn't, he hasn't had any. I was like, no, he's Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Chip Kelly would not be interested in it. Okay. No, <laughs> he wouldn't be interested in it. So bad. Dude. <laughs> The last time Chip and Bennett were together, didn't Chip try to make him a safety? Uh, he tried to make him a wide receiver. He really did a couple of things. He, he well, I mean, yeah, he, but I mean, he was trying to get Brian playing time. You know, what I mean, so I can't. Right. I mean, Marcus was a Marcus won the job outright. I mean, he was the best. It was it's right. the same stuff Brian Bennett struggled with. I mean, he just didn't. He struggled with accuracy in practice. And, you know, Brian, you know, you kind of have to be accurate in that system. You can't be missing. You you have to be on on beat. You know, um, you have to be accurate in the offense. So you just definitely won't play. So uh, there's no way around it. And that's what Brian's weakness is. When Brian's hot, he's hot, man. He looks like uh, a top guy. You know, top fifty quarterback. When he's he's bad, he doesn't look like he belongs to play football. So you just kind of have to try to mold that. I mean, I've seen stretches. I think he had a stretch where he uh, completed or had like thirteen incompletions in a row or something like that. This year, yeah, he got sacked. Yeah. Then there's games where he was like nine for nine and like had a hundred yards on a drive and a touchdown. It's just, it's just you kind of you get what you get. You have to live with it, live and die. But like I said, it's his mechanics look better. 
You know, and that's what I want to see from everybody. Uh, the quarterbacks and Kenneth looking better. See how explosive you are if you're a deep lineman. Look at a guy like Hayes Pilar, um out west that uh, was a lot more explosive than he did at the combine with the pro day. And looked a little bit bigger, too, which is a good thing for him. I think he put on about five good pounds. That's good. So, yeah, it's good. He's kind of a light guy. I mean, he's a good inside linebacker, but he's a little light. He could use he could use to actually put on a few more pounds. Okay. But yeah, but there's uh, guys like I was gonna say there's guys like I'll use George Farmer for instance. His numbers are outrageously good. You mm-hmm. still can't touch him. You know what I mean? Just because he's just a he's just a good athlete. <laughs> you know, he's just a pure athlete. But he's not. He's nowhere. He's not even a, a solid receiver. He's below average. So you can't be putting him up on your board just because he ran a 4-2-9, which is great, you know. And he he had one of the highest verticals I've seen out there. I think it was 39 and a half, um, which is great too, but it's 28 catches, you know, in three years. It's just not getting it done, so. <laughs> no. And he wasn't winning. Talk about with Brian Bennett, sort of the same deal. Really good athlete, you know, do certain things, but he can never win the job. He can never he can never even be number two at the depth chart. What, what was his peak? Number three, third on the depth chart? Where was he on the depth chart when he finally realized it wasn't going to happen for him? Last year he was uh he was third on the depth chart kind of. Third. He was kind of he was fourth really because Adore Jackson was playing both ways. Oh right. So I mean that's not a good look, you know. You got a 18 year old cornerback playing ahead of you, you know. I mean it's just like not really. Yeah. Oh man, he was in the doghouse, man. That's why he came out. I mean he, he was in the doghouse. I mean he wasn't. He was still gonna be the fourth wide receiver, probably. So I mean it wasn't really gonna help. I mean he might have moved it to third actually because Nelson left early. But I mean yeah, didn't play. I mean didn't have the PT. Didn't get it done in practice. He's not. He's a gamer. That's what he said. He's a gamer. He's not a practice guy. Oh. <laughs> Coaches hate that. I mean, like I don't. There's no other way to put it. Coaches absolutely hate that. They want to hear that. They that won't make you popular at any level of football, from Pee Wee and Pop Warner up to you know guys hoist from Lombardi. You don't want to say. <sighs> Even if it's true. We're talking about practice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're all, you're all you guys are as good as I yeah. am. Yeah. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. <laughs> not a game. Hey, exactly. Like your, Hall of Fame induction, your Hall of Fame induction, you're crying. And you're like, I was, I was never great in practice, but I was a gamer. Put the game was on the line. I put it all on the floor. No. <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't much of a gamer either. So, I mean, that's the thing. Exactly, <laughs> which is the problem. Yeah, I hope with your cause that that's the case. Either. Yeah. That's You say something like that, you gotta be as good as Ivor. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll just blame Cody Kessler for not giving them the ball. We'll just blame Cody Kessler. He's still in college, so we can blame him. <laughs> That's what, that is another thing I look for a pro day though, is guys that kinda of got lost on the depth chart. You can sometimes discover probably not starters or even, you know, Guys that are once again amazing, secondary different, but sometimes 
special teams guys or you find stuff from those guys that which is, you know, we're out so out of love with for whatever reason. At big schools, particularly, just this number game, you've got all the five and four star guys. You can't play them all at the same time. Somebody's going to be on the bench. True. The top. Yeah, there, and there, there's a lot of guys like that. I, I was, I guess, George was kind of a bad example because he's kind of a guy I still really don't. I put him on my roster as a gunner or something like that, special teams guy. Like kicker turns maybe, but because he's, I mean, he's, like I say, he's fast. <laughs> he's always been one of the fastest players on the team. Even when he tore his ACL, he's still fast. But a guy like maybe, uh, I don't know, guy like a guy like Jordan Phillips um, that didn't get a lot of playing time, something like that, I think he's still a solid player you want to take high, um, even though Oklahoma does a lot of rotations, like too many rotations. Because it makes their guys look really bad. I know Bob Sue doesn't care about NFL, but it makes their guy. It kind of makes all their guys look bad because they rotate so much. Like, but it it helps out Bob Sue because that's why he gets the top ten Sue spot that year because he plays guys right away. So that doesn't help guys like Phillips, you know, in the draft because people are like, why do you only play this many snaps? It's like, well, Bob Sue plays seventeen year olds, you know, right away. Like Urban Meyer, he plays guys right away. They don't. He doesn't register anybody. <laughs> well, that's just well. Just so you know, Donovan, just close up. Uh, Jordan Phillips is was twenty two. Yeah, I know he's twenty two, but I mean, he, so Bob Stoops doesn't. I mean, Bob Stoops plays freshman. Doesn't care how old you are. He's just gonna play everybody. There's not. I mean, there's some coaches not like that. Some coaches are. Chris Peterson is to everybody. That's why a lot of people don't want to play for Chris Peterson. <laughs> he's a good coach. He's just he's gonna register. He's an old school type of guy. Bob Stoops likes to play them all, all 95 guys available, everybody. It's just kind of the life. You kind of have to. Awesome. You kind of have to look at the coaching staff when you're when you're talking about a player and, and, and kind of saying, "Oh, why wasn't he as good?" It's like sometimes it's not all the players. Sometimes it is the coaches. I mean, can't let these coaches up. Yeah, it is. It really is. You have to look at the staff and their tendencies. And I, I noticed that about Oklahoma. It wasn't just the defense. It's just kind of like everybody he rotates. Except Trevor Knight. He loves Trevor Knight. But <laughs> that's a different story. And yeah, so did I mean, Katie Perry. She did. Not anymore. Too late. Oh, that's funny. Yep. <laughs> Too late. Turn, gone, turned man. her down. Tur- turned her down because I don't know. But, his girlfriend, and their whole season went to crap. <laughs> and that's what he did it. Yeah, the whole season because he turned down Katy Perry. Yeah, that's a crap. Well, it's um once again, I I'll be to see what what music plays at his pro day, but I'm willing to bet that you know Roar will not be on the soundtrack.
to go with it. But my gosh, what he could do! But the the now it's gone from being this very simple thing that a guy you know just sort of goes out does and a handful of scouts and well, came more than a handful. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we tracked that David. There were more than a handful of scouts there for Jaguars Friday, but a bunch of scouts <clears throat> and a couple of front office people, a couple of head coaches, and a bunch of offensive coordinators. But it went from being something that you know a handful of people you know, were there and the few people discussed. But I mean, it wasn't the kind of thing that, like I said, now we have this almost combine-like for some of the big ones at least level of coverage. And the good news is that fans and some players benefit. Players who were sort of fringy, you know, have a great day at the office and, you know, it gets picked up and maybe they they make more money. You know, they, if they're a prior drafted free agent, there's a more of a bidding more for them. If they're a guy that's being drafted late, they're not drafted as late. So there's just some value to that part of it as well. Now that it's become this, you know, more of a spectacle and more more celebrated and more discussed. But in evaluating players, which was originally what <laughs> the Friday was supposed to be for originally, uh, I think it may become less informative over the years rather than more informative. At least, just from, I'm once again the classic old guy, but from my particular standpoint, I think, well, it does. It does because. It does because, especially small school guys, because um, anytime you're like, this is the basic fact: is there are guys from the small school that have become good players in the NFL who didn't really have the best athleticism, um, and yet they make the entire small school, you know, scouting process into all right. Do you fit? Do you hit all the boxes? Can you run? You know, faster. Oh, you don't run faster. All right, bye bye. You know, we're packing up. We're leaving. Um, Like, there's no. It it turns everything into, you know, I don't want to say a meat market, but it's like, I I I like that steak right there. Yeah, that steak. Yeah, that one right there. Uh, it, It you're not watching tape, and you're using it as a crutch, which isn't really even a good crutch because, again, the the production data at the smaller school is very important, which I haven't seen much of anybody really does it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get into it, uh, but at the same time, it's, I'm also having it. Like, that's the big thing is it's a chore, I guess, because you're doing all the FBS guys, and then you have to do the small school guys. Uh, with, you can do the opposite of that, but then you don't know about the FBS guys, right? So you become kind of a little hermit guy, I guess, you know, where you're only bringing out small school guys and you only have so many people you can talk to about it. I know how you feel, Bill. You know, when you watch multiple school guys, you go, hey, did you check out this guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, where did he play? You know, like that sort of thing. But um, I just think that that's my biggest issue with the pro days. For small school guys, it's sure, if you're a fast guy from small school, it's great. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're a good player. And a lot of times the pro days become, instead of actually figuring out who are the good players in small school based on the tape, it becomes more of a, all right, he ran fast or he did really well in terms of, you know, being a plus athlete. Uh, so he's going to be able to be that outlier when George Bell wasn't a great athlete. You know, Brian Westbrook wasn't a great athlete. I mean, there's been tons of guys that were more so average athletes to below average in certain circumstances 
that had really good tape at the small school level, but all people cared about was the, you know, athletic testing. So that, that that's my only, I don't know, that's my only big thing. Is, is like you said about not really helping you learn much about them. I will agree that there's a bit of, it, it, it turns the small school, it turns it into a, a less, a less efficient process. You're not going to hit on as many small school prospects because of it, at least in my opinion, uh, because you're not you're not actually getting the, the good players from the small school. You're getting the guys who, you know, tested the best athletically versus what they actually did. So uh, that that's my only uh, uh, that's my only big issue, I guess, in terms of small school guys at pro days because they don't uh, they don't give everybody their fair shake. Uh, and especially when it comes to stuff like that, you don't run, you don't run under four or five, so you just pack it up and leave. You know, that's kind of, yeah, you know. Okay. Uh, anybody else have any more insights to share about what you, how you categorize pro days, what they mean to you, how you stack them in importance, or if they even have importance in the way that you evaluate? Okay, well, I guess that's a no. Then I'll uh, move, move right along. What was that? I'm sorry. Ah, there he is. Okay, I was just saying that if there was any other, before we moved on from Pro Days, were there any other insights anyone had to share about what Pro Days mean or don't mean, how they stack them, where they evaluate them, uh, what you go into, you know, the analysis of a Pro Day hoping to learn? Like, what? what of the puzzle or whatever it is, what how, what percentage of it comes from comes from pro day. So I was just saying, if anybody had any other things to contribute before we moved on to our final segment, final topic. Oh no, I think we about covered it. Okay. So uh, last thing before we wrap this sucker with a butt, nice little bow. Um, with the rise you know, of guys like Ali Marpet. We've talked about a little bit about evaluation of small school guys. And that's the other good thing about Pro Day is that these Pro Days very often are at large, almost always at large schools, but some of the smaller schools, not all, but some of the smaller schools, uh, players are sometimes able to fight their way in. And some, when I say fight, I mean sometimes there's almost literally a fight uh, for guys who get seen, but they get in there and then show their wins and then, some of them are already on people's radars, and some of them really are not. But it gives them a chance, a fighting chance to be seen. And I guess I'll start once again with Jim. When a guy from Division Two or NAI or Division Three or whatever you know shows up at University of Washington or shows up at Michigan State or shows up at you know whoever's pro day it is, and then has a terrific day. Obviously, these guys are rarely if ever at the combine. I mean, Ali Marpet being, you know, famous, you know, exception to the rule where a guy from that level of football, but usually there's one top two guys when you're talking about a school that size. And then, but, you know, Division Two, there's usually a handful, and then, you know, obviously, F, uh, the FCS is usually well represented in places like the combine, but Division Two sprinkling, and like the Division Three, I mean, there are years when there's nobody from Division Three at the combine. Uh, more, more years than not, but there he is. 
for those guys, when you're evaluating small school guys, obviously it's not like the senior bowl we can see them actually go against players from, you know, larger FCS schools. But what things do you look for from small school guys in terms of combine? Um, it's the same thing as the combine. You just want to see that they stack up athletically as the other guys. Um, and that's about it, really. <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand that uh, you would want them to be super-duper athletes and you'd want them to be that sort of stuff, but there's more to football than just being a super-duper athlete. What I really look for, and this is the controversial thing I've been getting to fight people over, is the production is much more important um, at the FBS level and at the FCS level and at the Division three level and at the Division II. It's a, at every level, production is much more important in determining um, success. Now, the success rates are obviously different at lower-level divisions. Now, you could say that's because they're less talented. You could say that's because there's a bias against those types of guys. You could say it's because most of the time those guys from the lower-level division never get a shot because they're low-level division or they're not – but the bottom line is this, is when it comes to pro days with small school guys, uh, I'm just looking at their athleticism, how they stack up. There's a lot of guys, Bill, and I'm not going to – I don't know if I want to name their name. I'm not going to name their name. But there are a lot of guys that were invited to the combine as small school guys who didn't test like starting caliber uh, NFL players in terms of their athletic ability. Um, there is a threshold with certain guys. There are guys who didn't test as backups uh, in some, to some extent. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Um, and not to say that I'm salty about it, it's just because last year in particular there was a couple players that I was a big fan of based on their tape but weren't invited to the combine. Um, and as we even discussed before, Bill, there seems to be this czar of college scouting at the FCS level or the Division II level or the Division III level who decides who goes, who passes, and who does not pass. And I don't want to say this guy's an idiot, but I just kind of disagree with who gets a pass and who doesn't get a pass, I guess is the best way to put it. So, so he's uh, not an idiot. You just disagree with, like, 99% of what he does. <laughs> I disagree with everything you say. Right, Not just 99%, but, I mean, like last year, for example, John Brown being invited to the combine. Absolutely. John Brown, you know, Pittsburgh State was a great player. There was another wide receiver who played against John Brown in a particular game uh, who was actually pretty good as well, but he didn't get invited. Um was kind of a little bit better than John Brown's only, but uh, obviously he didn't ran four three or whatever, or four four or yeah, something like that. But um, I just feel like there's, they're I don't know, they're picking the wrong guys. That's all I can really say. So again, a pro day, all a pro day really provides me with is the athletic, the athletic data, and I'm just a little upset at the fact that year after year after year, the good football players from the small school are ignored for whatever reason. Now, whether it's because of agents, because, and I believe this, because agents, uh, you know, a certain player gets with an agent and that agent talks to so-and-so, who talks to so-and-so, who talks to so-and-so, then gets the senior bowl invite. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I just wish that there was more, I mean, 
maybe maybe the guys from the small school wouldn't suck so much if you actually picked the good ones. That's all I'm trying to say. If you actually got the guys who are good football players, who do have that athletic ability, if you actually give them those opportunities versus these other guys who really don't have – and I don't mean to, like, be rude about it or anything else like that. They do not have the athletic ability, the prerequisite athletic ability, to be really good NFL players at the next level. They just don't. Um, there's some guys that are like that at the social level. But you are inviting those guys to the combine. So I don't really – like, that's – I don't know. That's my only big pet peeve when it comes to when it comes to small school scouting in general is one I don't think people are watching the tape and don't get me wrong it's hard to get tape of these guys you know it's not easy you have to you know have a really good cable plan or or you have to like watch I know a lot of schools sometimes broadcast it on their school website but then the camera is all grainy and like it looks like tape from like high school or the eighties. Right. Uh, there's a lot of disadvantages to actually scouting small school guys from that standpoint. I just think that with the NFL and how much money they have and how many resources they have, they could spend a little bit more time in actually really utilizing. Like, I think there's a lot of value in the small school that's not being got, that's not being taken uh, because of systemic issues in the process of you know, figuring out who to give opportunities to and who not to give opportunities to. But that's, I don't know, that's, that's all I can really say about <laughs> but But that's none of my business, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like yeah. Garrett Saffron. You know, all the small school quarterbacks that were hyped to see I'm telling all you guys, watch Garrett Saffron, watch all the small school quarterbacks, except for like Chris Bonner uh, and a couple other guys. Watch all the small school quarterbacks that have been getting all this hype and and talked about and, and like he's the sleeper guy. Watch any of those guys and tell me, like just I, I, I doubt you'd be able to tell me that there are better thrower, throwers of football than Garrett Saffron. So – like that's that's just what I mean. I just think that there's whoever is this czar. I want to meet him and 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 figure out what's going on. You know, that's all I can really say. And I know it's a czar because it, there has to be. You know, there just has to be. No, there's no way more than one person would think this way. That's not true. <laughs> exactly. If everybody was watching these guys, they would be able to pitch in on who to get invited. But they're obviously not. So, or at least there's like one guy in a basement, you know. Like if Bill Carroll was on the team, you know, everybody would love Bill Carroll, but they wouldn't want to listen to him. Like, all right, Bill Carroll, keep on doing small school guy. You know, that's it. So I, maybe it's that too. Maybe the small school scouts are just not being heard uh, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, they're not they're not getting their information into the right hands, or uh, people are not taking their I don't know, but I just think that that's the big uh, that's the next big big hurdle, I guess, for the NFL. Uh, because it used to be a long time ago, you could get a lot of starters from from a small school, and this is not even like you know, they, you know, like 
fake stuff. This is just like facts. There used to be a time where you were able to get uh, Pro Bowl Hall of Fame players from the small school. Now those opportunities are less. And some would say, well, it, obviously it's because the talent's less, but I don't necessarily agree with that just because of the certain things that have happened and, of course, how the process but I don't know. That's my, that, that's my basic point, I guess. Is Bill still there? Not, no? not sure. Not sure. Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, all right. Yeah. We all, you know, one of us, one of us, one of us might need to use our hosting skills. Uh, all right. I, I think. I guess. Do. All right. I guess, so we'll I guess it, James is the backup host. <laughs> I, guess I, I guess I'm the backup host. So I, I guess I'll go to, uh, to you, Donovan, on this. Um, I, I don't know, just to kind of just talk a little bit. In terms of I mean, you know, pro days for small school guys, what are uh, your thoughts on that? I mean, you already – I mean, <laughs> you pretty much said everything. I mean, it's the same. I don't, once the guys have entered the draft and, and declared, they aren't small school to me. Like, they're just a draft-eligible player. Uh, I know that sounds like I'm just trying to nine to the question, but that's just how it is. I'm just being real about it. I mean, that's I, – I I love the draft diamond guys, like, and they do a lot of small school stuff. I mean, it's technically still a small school, but when I do my stuff, I don't make it small school. Um, obviously, I know Chris Bonner played – didn't play top talent or Ali Marpet or whatever. I understand that. It's about production. It's about their numbers. Um, probably even more, to be honest. I, I've, I mean, like Rashard Green, James Winston, Mariota. I mean, I've seen all these guys in high school. That wasn't that long ago for me. I still, I still have their uh, Nike Combine numbers. You know what I mean? And now I have their their credit numbers, and I look at that. But I mean, and Brian Brian Bennett's like a little different because I mean, he he was like a four star recruit, even though he's a small school guy now. But I'm talking about you know the the, the real. Like R.J. Harris is a guy I like a lot. He's Hampshire. He didn't get highly recruited. I like him. Um, so I look at those guys even more actually right now because I I saw a lot of college football, man. Um, but I'm not watching New Hampshire games on Saturdays. You know, that's just how it is. <laughs> I don't get it. Exactly, man. Because you have to yeah. make a choice. You yeah, have to so make I mean, a choice. So I this always, is my yeah. yeah. So this is my time. This is my time to really focus on those guys. Man. Um, right now, that's why I've kind of been a little low-key because I'm just trying to figure out – or not figure out, but find every guy. I mean, there's a guy I probably haven't even seen yet um, I'm trying to figure out. I'll talk to agents or I'll talk to whoever. And is there a guy that I need to watch? I need to – well, Jake Rogers, um, Eastern Washington left tackle. Been watching a lot of him lately. Um, he had a good pro day. Um, not finding a lot of E-Dub on TV. You know, they, they, they're they pretty well-known program, but I can't just flip on ESPN or, or get some tape <laughs> of Eastern Washington. It's hard. So that, I really focus on the small school guys right now. But it's everything you said pretty much. And it's the same. Once they're in the draft, they draft to me. Um, so it's not nothing too much that's different, except I'm watching them more. That's it. Okay. But, uh, all yeah. I would say is, is YouTube does have um, – they have a lot of reasons. I would just say this. You would be surprised at how much tape – is available on YouTube. I'll just say that. Oh, there's a lot. Like there's actual lot. games. 
Of course, they're not like Draft Breakdown, you know, which cuts and slices it perfectly into this delicious little, you know, easily digestible tape. But it is does give you a feel for a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. I guess to wrap up sort of stuff, because I think we yeah, we already said all this stuff. So I'll go to myself for this one. Um, we're getting to that point, man, where the pro days are going to be a thing of the past, and it's going to be like – Chaos is going to happen. You know, Sean Mannion is going to be the third quarterback. He's going to be in the second round. Talk is going to start. Uh, you're going to have, you know, wide receivers and running backs and all these these other players being talked about that are going to go in, like, the first. It's just, just – it's going to be nuts, Montel. There'll be, 80, be 81 guys in the first round. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> Guaranteed. Well, it's it's gonna be a crazy first round. It just is Montel. Uh, there's no, and I've been talking with a bunch of people about. It, there's really no consistent number one pick, and only only because of the fact that the quarterbacks all have certain baggage in certain ways. I mean, sure, certainly Marcus Mariota is a player that you could see becoming a really good starting quarterback, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. It has all these certain tools and stuff like that, but he hasn't exactly played their pro mm-hmm. style system. Jameis Winston has all the off-field stuff, and on top of that, he became a turnover machine, you know, in the mold of like a Jay Cutler last year. Uh, you know, the the defensive tackles in this class, I mean, Leonard Williams, uh, which people don't like to talk about but didn't test as well as everybody kind of expected him to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So basically, uh, and of course, Randy Gregory smoked pot. So, uh, you know, this whole draft class is kind of up in the air. A lot Who's of pot. Go where? A lot of pot, that's right. And did Danny <laughs> wait, by the way. Uh, but uh, it's just kind of funny that, that, you know, this is just going to be one of those draft classes where there's going to be crazy stuff happening where throw your mock drafts away because I doubt that that's actually going to happen because of just so much, so many variables and so many things that have happened so far uh, to, to muddy up the picture of what's going to happen. So I guess with you, Montel, in the first round, what is the one thing that you think is, a, is like, what would you put your money on happening in the first round? So regardless of all the BS that's going to be talked about, regardless <laughs> of who's rising and who's falling and who's this and who's that, and who's, you know, all that stuff, what is – what is like one thing that is actually going to happen in the first round? One thing that's actually going to happen. That's a good question. Uh, okay, well here's one. I think you'll see you'll see five receivers go in the first round. I think, and I don't even think it's close. I think it it happens, and it it might happen by say pick twenty five, twenty six. Um, I think that's number one. And and given the depth in this class, it's okay to do that, depending on who your number four and number five receivers are. Uh, another thing that's going to happen, I think I think people are, are going to be a little, well, no, people need to just realize um, the Titans are going to go with a defensive tackle. Um, I know Ken Wisenhunt let it slip the other day that Mariota was on his team. He'd be the day one starter. But, you know, in Ken Wisenhunt's world, uh, everyone gets a turn. 
you know, every, everyone gets a chance. Anyone can be a starter. You know, it's it's Kevin Wilson can have a quarterback this day and, and, and like, another guy the next. And uh, so I think they're going to take Leonard Williams. And so that's another prediction. Leonard Williams doesn't make it past pick two. Maybe pick three. I don't, I don't see it past pick two. Another prediction. Um, what's really going to happen? Okay. Uh, I think the Redskins can't afford to not go off the line here. I think given the um, issues they have on their edge rushers, I think that might be, I don't know, well, not, I don't want to say a lock, but it's it's pretty confident. And I think Brandon Sheriff's stock is going to be rising. Um, something else that's going to happen, has to happen. Uh, I think there's going to be some corners that go. Uh, we all know about train wains, but who knows? Uh, say Myron, uh, Myron Jones out of Connecticut. You could also see Jalen Collins out of LSU. You could definitely see Ronald Darby. I heard his stock is just red hot right now. So I think those guys will go in the first, and those guys also go in the top 25 of the first round. Um, I think only two quarterbacks go in the first. I don't, I don't see a scenario where someone really says, I'll take a three here. Because you look at those teams, when you get past, say, pick, I mean, and I'm not counting the Eagles in this, when you get past pick, say, 10, 11, now that the Rams have a guy, you kind of get into the no-man's land in terms of quarterbacking and who really needs a guy. So I just don't see a scenario where it's more than two on the first. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, those are my predictions. Those those kind of have to happen if the world is fair. Not bad. Oh. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right. I know somebody on the, on the uh, panel might be a little bit on that. Uh, I guess the more, and this is a different sort of thing, what is going to be the biggest surprise? So, like, 2013, it was Deion Jordan going in the top five, and, and E.J. Manuel in the first. Like, there's a bunch of crazy things that happened in 2013. Draft. And this draft is not going to be any exception to that. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of crazy uh, – there's going to be players that are going to be drafted in the first, and people are going to go, what, what? You know, like, that's literally what they're going to say. In this particular draft class, what are going to be those what picks? Well, I, I'm almost thinking that when the Titans do take the quarterback at two, people are going to be going, they were really serious about that? Uh, because <laughs> <and, laughs> uh, uh, they're going to take quarterback. People, uh, people almost seem to not want them to take one, but they're going to take a quarterback at this point. That, that they have made that decision, and I don't even think they. Have, I don't even think at this point they're even scheduled a visit with anyone but Shane Ray and quarterbacks. So, so uh, they and. I know they're going to have Mariota in again. They've already had him in once. He's coming back again to watch tape with Kim Wisenhunt. So, see how that goes. I think the biggest shock is uh, I really think more than one running back gets taken in the first round uh, this year. I think people are going to be surprised at, at how early those running backs are going to start going off the board. Uh, I think people are going to be surprised at that. Uh, Surprise first-round pick. I'm saying Aguilar is going to go in the first round, and that's going to surprise some people. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, it would be kind of surprising because he's kind of viewed as a second round um, selection. But as uh, as uh, as Montel just said, you know, uh, five wide receivers, Aguilar might be in that. And because teams hit on so many wide receivers last year, they're going to be a little confident in their scouting abilities this year. I guess to I guess the last one just about the draft in general to uh, uh, to Donovan in terms of the biggest steal of the first round. So it could be any particular player in a scenario where they fall, which happens every year. You know, guys said to be top five or said to be top ten. And then they fall out, and then everybody goes, "Oh, they got a steal He's in late first or uh, second. Who's going to be the biggest steal of the first round when he actually when it actually happens and everything uh, goes down? So, who's going to be the steal of the first round? Um, oh man, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think Jake Fisher. Because like I think I think he's gonna be so bold, either the first so so bold so bold. I mean, well, well, it was hard to answer that because like I I would have to think they go in the first round, though it can't be somebody like DDB. I don't think he's gonna go in the first, even though he's first round talent. So it's like I think Fisher's gonna go in the first, but he's probably gonna he's a top five pick. He's not gonna go in the top five though. Um, he I have him. Actually, I don't know. Hold on. I haven't met. Actually, no. I won't change that because I'm literally doing my mall draft right now. That's why I had to change it. So um, I haven't actually gone to the jet at six, so I can't really say that. That's not really his fall. Um, <laughs> let's scratch that one. Actually, um, right now, I would say, uh, gosh, uh, probably, oh, man, that's, James, man, you're asking a good question. That, that's a tough one for me to really answer. Can I get a I, I, Georgia, Georgia, I mean, I, Georgia. I, I guess, yeah, yeah, girly there. I, I, that's so cliche, man. Like, I, I kind of didn't want to say that. Yeah, talk, girly is I, I, cliche. Okay. Yeah, it's not girly. Yeah, I mean, because he's going to obviously, the knee is going to drop, and yeah, he's going to be a great NFL player. So, yeah, I, I was just really trying to answer anything but talk girly, but impossible so yeah <laughs> Todd Gurley well I will I will say this though I will say this we'll say this um I think that your guy Malcolm Brown might fall a little bit but I don't think it's right I just don't think he's just he's not he's just solid to a lot of people he's not a sexy guy but I think he might fall and he's going to be a steal I think he might fall that like late team 20 range, to be honest. And I think that's going to be a huge deal for somebody because I have him, I view him as a top 12 player um, overall on my board. So I think that's going to be a mini deal. But, yeah, Gurley's the guy. I mean, I, I think Gurley might fall on the first um, until the – somebody might trade up for him. I don't really do the trades in March, so I can't predict the trades because that would take me all night and day. But <laughs> um, I think somebody trade in the first form, but eventually I think he, he goes in the, you know, 28, 32 range, or maybe even to 35 at the lowest. But yeah, Gurley is the guy for sure. I, mean, I do want to say, like, Montel was talking about his bold predictions or whatever. <laughs> they were good. 
I like the five receivers, actually. I agree. Um, my bold prediction is that I just want to say, like, Danelle Hunter's going to go in the first round. He's going in the first round. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. There's finally what? enough questions yeah. about these other I, edge rushers because there are. There's it, enough questions about these guys. So we're maybe we can have. <laughs> yep, he's, go- he's going high. Yeah, like, he's- I, have him, I, have him at, I have him at 24 right now, but he's probably going to go on the top of the team. That, I mean, I, I literally just I, 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 Everybody, I, yeah. everybody I'm right now. You guys really like Daniel Hunter. Um, no, no. First of all, yeah, I'm about to say, get it, get it, get it right, James. Come on, Denell. man. Come on, James. Yeah, yeah. I don't he, want to no, say his name right. I don't want to say he, his name right because I don't like his football <laughs> skills. If I liked his football skills, I would say his name right. Listen, it's Haitian, it's man. Haitian. But no, he. Uh, yeah, Denell Hunter is going to go in the top first round. Um, that's. I mean, there's, that's all there is to it. He's going first. <laughs> And that's final. I don't, I don't need to say. I mean, he's just gonna go in the first round, man. He's 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 a beast, man. Like he's a beast of an athlete. He might not have a lot of sacks. His Tate wasn't the greatest, but he's gonna go in the first round. There's always a guy like that. It's like it sounds stupid when you say yep. it, but then it happens, yeah. and it's yeah. like oh, oh yeah, like. <laughs> and that's the guy this year. I think Eric Armstead's gonna go uh, high, but that's expected, though. But but Daniel Hunter's kind of a whoa, like really? You think he's gonna go? Because he could go the fourth round. I could be crazy, but I think he's going to go first. Because everything I'm hearing from him right now and everything he's done this offseason has been uh, superb. And there's just enough questions about these edge guys. And I, I talked to a guy um, that's uh, really close to, to a team that said he would take uh, Hunter over Fowler and Shane Ray. So, I mean, it, this is real. The Danelle Hunter train is real. <laughs> It doesn't make sense, but I, I we still got room, James. I ain't even on that train. I have numbers behind me, numbers that will destroy your hunter. Okay, and and hunter, hunter and hunter is is a young young twenty years old. So. He's a undersized edge rusher. First of all, he's not a full size edge rusher. Secondly, yeah, his production was bad, as we already talked about in the show. He's a penetrator. It doesn't make a lot of babies, uh, which is true. That's what you see on tape. Uh, on top of that, he's a young guy. I think that he definitely has the potential to be eventually, after like two to three years, a serviceable starter that the Seahawks may pick up at some point who gets like eight sacks a year or something like that. But you don't take something like that, a three-year, two-year project, in the first Round. It's happening, and, man. I'm telling you. This it can said, happen. I, I understand it can happen. I don't. I, Armstead makes sense because Armstead, even though yeah. I think he's going to be a really bad player, I still think that people really are in love with his bedroom. You know, he's six foot eight. You know, he's a he's a giant person, and teams are really are really into that. But I don't. I don't how a how a guy like Hunter, who was barely productive, didn't really even test extremely well at the combine, by the way, for an edge prospect. I mean, I went through his testing. He was really He didn't average. do very much. He didn't do very much, to be fair. He didn't do very much, but he was average in what he actually did do. Uh, and his production was, eh, 
so I don't know. I mean, it definitely could happen. Like, I guess it could be this year's DeAndre Jordan. That's what I see. He had a good pro day, too. Oh, that made up for it. Right. What happened have a, pro day? He looked good at his pro day. Great. Everybody looks good at the pro day. <laughs> for the most part. Did, Everybody did Shane good. Ray look good at his pro day? Yeah, nice. He looked oh, good at his pro day. Oh. Shane Ray, hey, read the reports, man. He looked good at his pro day. What they weren't impressed with was the timing and stuff like that. That's the okay. only thing that okay, they so, 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 so he didn't look good at what mattered on his pro day. Not good. That actually is the definition of good. But, you know, Hunter's just, you know, he's just a guy. He's just, and he's not, you know, I mean, Hunter, yeah, he's a project for sure. And I'm not saying You're right. You I just mean, said it. I'm not. He's just a guy. It's exactly what Well, no, I was, I was being sarcastic, but, I mean, yeah. He's not just a guy. I mean, he's there's not a lot of guys like him. You know, uh, coaches like to be – coaches like to hit jackpot. They don't like to just roll the dice and get, like, 20 bucks. You know, they like to just but you're not going to get a jackpot. No, that, that's what they like. You're going to get gonna, a little. That's how. That's how you're going to win like twenty bucks. <laughs> you're going to win another chance to 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 roll the dice again. That's all you're going to get with Hunter. Coaches, they like to hit. You don't have to They like to hit. If they if they can make Jason or, or they can make him Jason Pierre Paul, they're going to be a head coach in five years. That's what they want to do. That yeah, but Jason Pierre Paul was more productive than Hunter. He had more sex. He had more tackle for loss. He had more soul. I mean, uh, what? I'm just saying, okay. man. I'm not. This isn't. This isn't to me. I'm talking about. This is. These are people around around football that are they're higher up than me that I've talked to. And that's okay. what they're saying. Right. Right. Just right. letting you know. Just right. letting you know, man. It's not. It's not right. really a me. I, I like Denell Hunter. Um, not as much as other people do. Actually, I like him. I think he's a late first round, early second round guy. Um, but I, I, that's why another reason I think uh, with his mold being, you know, 6'5", he's actually, he got up in weight, 251. Um, uh, his arms are, I know you did the arm thing. Yeah, his arms are, yeah. His arms are to big. me, I mean, you look at, you look at like, a guy like a Barkevius Mingo, and, and, and then you look at a yeah, guy like a Danielle Hunter. Up, now, man. I think, no, 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 Mingo, no, 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 well, 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 no, 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 that's my thing. <laughs> it's going to take some time, I think, for the light bulb to go off, so... I don't think he's going to be an immediate, you know, guy and, like, come in and just blow it up. But I like him better than I did Mingo um, in terms of, you know, just physically what he might be able to do. And he'll be at a cheaper price. So if you can get Hunter in, say, the second round and you've got maybe a little bit better version of Mingo, that's not bad value. And and I think the situation is going to be crucial, but, I just I like some of the things I've seen from him. I know production was very good, but he wasn't a starter for a decent portion of the year. Hunter's gonna the thing about Hunter that's different from a lot of like freak athlete guys is that he is really humble and works hard. Like I said, he's a, he's a he's a, a, a immigrant coming coming from the islands and stuff like that. He's only been up for a little bit, kind of like Jason Pierre Paul, but he's just a hard worker, man. I mean, he plays special teams for LSU, like Lonto said. He he started eight games. Um, he, there's a lot of games he didn't start. He was playing a lot of rotations and third downs. Um, had had a good amount of tackles. I mean, just it's just really the stats as, as far as production. I mean, he only had one and a half. It's horrible, but I mean, he he did some good things. I mean, he played he played big in some in some good games versus some good tackles um, on the edge. Um, he he was spotty, of course. I really wish he had a state. I think he would have been a, a for sure first round pick. He would have had good numbers on that LSU defense. But a lot of those LSU guys sometimes don't have. 
the best numbers for some reason. They're always really athletic. That's just yeah, how they, and they that's always how they become were, and they, they always were. become great players. All the great LSU players in the last. It's not. Hey, Les Miles doesn't care if you get in the fall. He wants to get you drafted in the first round. As long as you get drafted, he's happy. What you do on your own, that's it's done. He's already done his job. I and mean, it, just in terms of this year's crop. I mean, Lau Collins is a really good player, and he's going to be a great guard at the next level. If he, if I ever get a hold of him, um, probably even all pro guards, kind of like Zach Martin this year. Um, but once you leave him. You got Jalen Collins, who I was never really that big of a fan of. Uh, then you have Hunter, who's never really big of a fan of. And you have Alexander, who's more of a nickel linebacker. I don't, I don't get the LSU thing. Man. I don't know. Um, oh, those guys are athletic. They're athletic, man. They're more athletic than everybody. That's just no, how it not. is. No, they're not. Uh, they're not as athletic as everybody else. I do this for a living, Donovan. You're talking to the guy who does nothing but obsess over guys like They're they're average compared to everybody else. They're not like this factory for like stud athletes. It's kind of crazy to think about, but the one, the places where there's like the factory for stud athletes are are actually in the Big Ten. I mean, places like Minnesota and Iowa and uh, you know places like that seem to be producing more like the really good power speed sort of athletes now for some reason. I all mean, all I'm the athletes in Dallas here are a little eh. All I'm saying is I don't know. I don't know that many people that are 6'5", 252 pounds that run a 4'5", When I find them, you can send them me a link. But until I find a bunch of those guys, and LSU's had five, that can name off the top of my head. But, <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess they're not that good. I guess they're not that good. I don't know. I, I don't know many guys. From, I, I'd gamble on one, right? I, on day two, I'd, I'd gamble on one. I, I don't know many Odell Beckham Jr. He came from uh, that school, I think. So I just I don't see many guys like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. was actually an elite-level <laughs> athlete, though, and had really good production and was a really good route runner. Like, that's well, there you not... go. There's your LSU guy. That's <laughs> the guy you want on your team, then. <laughs> yeah, but there's no Odell Beckham Jr. Hunter isn't the Odell Beckham Jr. of pass rusher. I just said LSU guys. I didn't say who. I mean, it doesn't matter what. Because <laughs> I did. I said LSU guys. I mean, pass rushers. I mean, their quarterbacks aren't that athletic. They don't really have good quarterbacks. They've been known for not having good quarterbacks. I know they so don't. That's what they have to run the football all the time. Especially since – oh, Jeremy Hill is a pretty good – oh, yeah, I got that one right. Jeremy Hill, I'm just saying. Hill is not really that – Jeremy Hill is not that great of an athlete, and besides that, people don't tackle. I've seen a lot of Jeremy Hill's runs last year. Most of them were because of poor tackling technique and bad angles. So that has nothing to do with Jeremy Hill's ability. I don't know, man. I, I really, I really, I think, I think uh, that's not, not, you're really stretching to try to, I mean, yeah, I mean you can't I'm really stretch Jeremy Hill is not a great athlete. He's not. Like no, saying, I'm not saying he's a great athlete, but I'm saying he's, he's a, a very yeah, talented running, running back. back. But he's not. Yeah. He's what not. Had, what, what I mean, there was a lot of running backs that came out. Didn't have Jeremy. I thought Jeremy Hill was undrafted the way we were talking about him. I mean, not me, because, I mean, I said he was a first-round pick, but, I mean. I mean, who did better in his class? I mean, I just, I'm just trying so to far. think of. Right? I mean, he LSU, did the best yeah, LSU, so far. LSU had the best running back in the draft class, the best wide receiver, and Landry's no slouch. I mean, I'm just saying LSU. Oh, no. You're kind of, kind of underselling LSU a little bit. I mean, I'm not an LSU guy, but, I mean, that, well, she's got. I mean, they put out. They show a pretty good talent. They've had busts. I mean, yeah, but they put out more talent, so they're gonna have busts. That's just how 
if you put out 53 guys in, like, five years, then you're probably going to have more busts and you're going to hit. I mean, but they, they hit. When they hit, they hit. I mean, I like Menberger. I don't think the Titans should take it for it, but I think he's going to be uh. a solid quarterback. I would, I, I would probably uh. draft a quarterback. I would draft a, I would draft. I would draft a quarterback, but I wouldn't draft. I mean, I would draft Mariota, of course, because I, I like Mariota a lot. But I mean, I, I think that I don't think he fits that team, so I don't want him to go there. I think they should stick with that and maybe draft a, a guy in the fourth or fifth, maybe a, a Sean Mannion or Gary Grayson in third or something. Oh God! <laughs> no interest in being crappy at quarterback. I mean, the guys play. I, I just don't. I think we live in a microwave society. Like it, it's like if Bill was on the show, he'd tell you these guys play one year and they're done. You know, or Jeremy Hill's not get running back. That is, I don't get it. Like one, one, one year. Like I don't like Bingo at all, but he's not a bust. He put he, how many? He's twenty three years old. Like what? What happened? Like what happened to patience? Like I don't get it. I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess, you know, you, you kind of do. If you don't play good your first year, like Teddy Bridgewater's in the Hall of Fame, you know, like on Twitter. Blake Bortles is horrible, you know. Like he threw a lot of interceptions. He's well, done, he did dude. play really bad last year. Yeah, yeah, 23 years old, done. Should lose his job. Just draft Jameis. He's done. Like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we've reached the end portion of the show. Um, I guess starting with uh, with Mort, uh, where can uh, people find and follow your work, sir? Uh, if you do any work, or you know, I know you have a Twitter account, so people can hear your football musings and stuff. Yeah, mine's mostly on Twitter nowadays because of, of work and everything. It's uh, at s morton ten thirteen sixty eight. That's where most of the stuff is. I'll occasionally write for a couple of sites, but mostly it's just there because, like I said, I'm mostly doing the work thing and commuting because I'm moving to the big city. Exactly. <laughs> and then to Montel Hardy because there ain't no party like a Montel Hardy party because the Montel Hardy party don't stop. That's right. Uh, once again, it's been great being on the show uh, with you guys. Uh, you can find all my work on uh, draft. Or, well, you can go to ngscsports.com, click on the Draft Central tab, and uh, all my stuff is there. Got a couple scouting reports coming out this weekend, so you know, take a look there. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Montel NFL. That's at M O N T E L capital N F L. Uh, also, um, you know, me and Josh do the weekly show together. We have a uh, IQ, a guy named John Doucette, who joins us, too, uh, every Wednesday on uh, – it's Wednesdays now from 8.30 to 10.30. Uh, no, 7 – no, 8.30 to – no, 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 7.30 to 9.30 Central. So there you go, 8.30 to 10.30 Eastern. And uh, it's pretty cool now. We do station breaks and all that, so it has the real radio feel. So, uh, yeah, tune in to that, and as always, thanks for having me. All right, cool. Uh, and then, of course uh, – Mr. Donovan James, uh, who uh, I usually get confused with because his last name is James, my name But <laughs> where can people find out about what you've been doing this week? I know you've been really busy, so you must have done something. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. I'm a little busy. Well, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Donovan Sports. Uh, 
final work at RSDN, blogging, whole new site with everything going on. It's been, been great for, for everything. Uh, I'm working on just, I mean, I'm doing I'm doing a full seven mock. I probably shouldn't be, but I'm a nerd, I guess, so I have to do it right now. Um, <laughs> put it out. Um, I'm probably going to do it on our labs and link it because um, Dan Chonka does a great job with everything. That's up now. It's a lot easier just to do it out there. Um, I'm working on a profile for uh, Garrett Grayson, Colorado State. Now that I have all his numbers, I was waiting on his numbers to do a profile, player profile on him, scouting report, full scouting report. So I'll do one on him. And I'm actually going to do one on uh, Amari Cooper, um, one of my favorite players in, in the draft. Um, I don't really talk about him too much, but he really is one of my favorite players in the draft. So I want to do full scouting report on him as well. And, uh, yeah, tomorrow, I don't – James, you probably know what time the show is. I, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's like 10 to like 2, 10 a.m. Eastern to 2 Eastern. But, um, oh, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, I'll, well, I'll I'm, not, check with Bill. I'm not yeah. going to be on the first part of the segment, um, but the second part of the segment, um, we're going to have uh, Chris Bonner, uh, who I did a Q&A with a couple weeks ago. Um, I confirmed him today, and uh, Joey, I – Bosa, I think that's how you say his last name. I, I, yeah, from Hawaii, the fullback, H-back type of guy. Um, he's going to be on as well. If you guys want to check those guys out. Uh, Chris Vaughn Chris, Chris Vaughn's really interesting prospect. So a really good, cool guy. Um, it, was, it was really good talking to him. So have those two guys on tomorrow. And I'm actually trying to get uh, J.R. Tavai on as well. Um, might have to wait until next week for that, but I'm going to try to get him on tonight. So. Tune in tomorrow. I know James will be a part of the bill, and he'll have some guests on. And uh, around noon, one-ish, try to have those guys on as well. But, yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate the LSU debate with James. <laughs> He's going to – if there's bad and rude people listening, you're going to lose some, some followers, man. They're not going to like you. They're, those guys are crazy. That, that's fine. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I'm I, just all, I have, no. I have time. all I have is time to sit back. I know. And no, the, the thing I do the overall, James – no, the thing I do love about James, the the thing I love about him the most, besides that he's a metric genius, he knows more than me, actually, a lot more about metric. He's the king. But the thing I love about him the most, I will say, if I get off, is that he doesn't care about anybody's fan base or <laughs> anybody on Twitter bashing him. And it's like me. I don't care either. It's just whatever. It's just like I'm at home chilling. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's fun to me. I love it, though. It's cool. You don't get too uh, – uh, up it, not, you're not too salty, man. You're not too emotional about it. I like it. It's fun. Yeah, I think that James ought to have a little trash can to dissolve the um, Twitter because it's all trash, trash, trash. Yeah, it's like it's like Bill, Bill, Bill with Oregon guys. Like he gets Oregon fans don't like Bill because he doesn't like any of their players. No, I'm just kidding. He does. It's not he doesn't like them. He doesn't he like them Oregon much. players. Yeah, I, I Bill's more of an optimist than me. I don't know. I'm yeah. pessimistically optimistic. That's how I would say my I am. <laughs> there is a very small club of very good football players in the NFL, and not every player every year is going to be that player, and unfortunately, people don't like that. But anyways, yeah, and, and, thank, and thanks for that, Dom, and we'll definitely, you know, talk tomorrow when we do the prospect interviews with a bunch of people, uh, and Joey, you know, you know Sefa and, um, and Chris, you know, Bonner, hope, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, uh, oh. yeah, and – oh, yeah, were you going to say something? Okay. Uh, but I was just going to say, uh, for the rest of the show, you know, we had Josh uh, Josh Zimmer on the show. 
uh, a little bit later um, that Montel was talking about. Uh, you can follow him. You can look him up on Twitter at Josh Zimmer. Uh, he's a pretty good – he's a defensive line. I mean, he knows more about defensive linemen than me just in terms of uh, being able to spot technique and uh, really – and he also did a couple good reports today, Shelton recently, so I'll check that out. Um, but he's a pretty good defensive line expert, honestly. Um, pretty good player and a pretty good guy as well. <laughs> he said he was bear hunting. That's kind of cool. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Bill Carroll, who uh, I don't know where you are right now, Bill, uh, <laughs> but you can follow him at, uh, B, you know, B Carroll, uh 138 on Twitter. Um, you can also just look him up. So he has two uh, Twitter accounts. Uh, but if you want to know anything about football, he knows it. And if you want to go back to, like, who played for Princeton in 1938, like who was the starting quarterback for Princeton <laughs> in 1938, he'd be able to tell you who the who that person was, who their backup was, who their ball boy was. He'd be able to tell you all that information because he really, 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 really is literally a student of the game. Uh, like, just in terms of knowing everything about college football, knowing everything about the NFL, uh, knowing about everything uh, that comes that kind of stuff. Um, and, and on top of that, he's also a great evaluator. He's been doing this stuff longer than Mel Kuyper, literally. You know, he was one of the guys that saw Mel Kuyper the first time. I was like, who's this guy? You know, like, I don't know this guy. Who's this guy? Uh, he's, he's, he's really one of the uh, – I don't know. I, I think he's underrated. And just in terms of a draft analyst who has so much knowledge, so much stuff about football. And, of course – me, I'm James Coburn. Uh, you can follow my stuff at uh, allprofootballsource.com. I've been doing a lot of metric profiles recently, uh, which is it's the best way I can come up with to try to show you what I'm seeing in the numbers. I could just put a spreadsheet up, but you would just look at it and go, "What is what? What's this thing? You know, like what what?" So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to try to put things as simple as possible, and I'm going to keep trying to tweak it a little bit to make it easier to understand, uh, maybe add some more stuff to it, maybe, you know, cut down. Some of the, but the bottom line is just so you guys can understand what exactly I'm talking about when I talk about market share, you know, when I talk about athletic metrics, you know, try to help you understand a little bit of what I mean and, and, and where people stack up to their peers historically. Uh, that stuff is on that site. I also did a recent article on Randy Gregory, uh, which, I don't know, because of the weed stuff and all, you know, all that kind of stuff, just because I really didn't like Randy Gregory at all most of the season. But you can find that stuff there. You can also follow me on Twitter at uh, capital J, little M, little C, little, little C, little O, little B, little E, little R, little N, one. And uh, that's about it, guys. Uh, I'd just like to thank uh, Montel for coming on the show. I'd like to thank Ward for coming on the show. I'd like to thank Josh Zimmer. I'd like to thank Brian James. And, of course, Bill Carroll. And we will talk to you guys next week, hopefully, or soon. So uh, thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Bye.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.